Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special late June edition of ADP Jason. Today, we're joined by special guest Jack Miller, a new full-time member of the ETR team to talk all things running back dead zone, risers and chasers, and otherwise. Uh, let's get going. This is ADP Jason. Let's go. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is what? This is what? I'm hot. Anita job. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play, Chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Kadarius Tony? You can't handle the heat. It looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to ADP Chasing. Jack, we're really excited to to have you on, and congrats again um, for getting that role at ETR. Yeah, that's, congrats, that's awesome man. stuff. Um, yeah, how's how's it been working full time over there at ETR so far? It's been good. I mean, ETR is great. The whole team um, is great. Just working on the projections a bit, and then doing some content on the best ball, um, and then some betting stuff too. So it's been oh, fun, nice. and I, I'm excited to be here today. Too first time on the uh, ship chasing channel of uh of shows so this will be good yeah awesome. Awesome. and yeah yeah looking forward to it and so you've been uh diving into some like niche betting stuff over at etr right i feel like i've seen you tweet out like uh wnba uh is, is can require that as part of your, yeah. your contract yeah i've gotten really into the wnba over the past couple <laughs> years um just because it's like the summer so like there's like you know we've got two months till football nba is over like like if if you're looking to bet, you've got baseball, which I've never really been a huge fan of. And then WNBA is the only other option. Um, so I've just been kind of doing that on the side for fun. Yeah, I guess that's that's probably better than uh, tying up your your money for uh, eight months like we do in best ball. But uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, cool. I, I've been doing my fair share of that, too. You know, it's not, not so much an either or as much as it is a, a both situation. Yeah, that makes sense. Pat, how's uh, how's your weekend? You still in uh, in slow draft hell, or have you escaped from that yet? No, I mean I'm still deep in the slow draft weeds. Um, you know, I will say that it has not been as bad as I thought it would be. You know, you, you gave me these horror stories about the big board, um, but the big difference is that you entered slow drafts uh, days before the NFL draft when they had to uh, <laughs> set it down to one hour clock just to get all the drafts in time done in time before the draft. I'm sitting here in June, you know, they, there's a nice little uh, eight hour clock. I got goes to 11 hours uh, in the evening. I don't have to worry about it. I'm on the clock right now and probably 50 drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took care of the ones that were under four hours. So I have a nice long podcast today and I'll get back to it later. I've been uh, doing the star trick, you know, where I star the players of, of the teams that I draft, especially in the early rounds. Um, I, I did that as a present for, for myself for my late june self and it's really paid off in a big way because then i can go in there i can see oh i got a correlated guy right here um it's much easier from the desktop when you're doing like 120 slow drafts at once that's another <laughs> another uh, pro tip right now yeah i so yeah pat reference i entered like i don't know a hundred of the super flex drafts in the i don't know two days before the nfl draft so they all closed uh, pre-draft, which is just like an absolute nightmare. Cause once the, the really bad thing is once the clocks start ticking down, I think it got down to an hour per pick and I was in a hundred drafts. So 
I'd wake up in the morning and have like five minutes left to pick in like 20 drafts and be like, this is just, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. And DraftKings, you know, I, I was in like a handful of slow draft, like five, and that was way more stressful than being in like 120 slow drafts on underdog because it's a, just a straight eight hour clock. So, you know, if you go to bed, you like, you sleep, you sleep eight hours and 10 minutes, you might miss like a, a pick <laughs> on a $500 best ball team. You don't want to do that. So um, I don't think I'm going to do any more DraftKings slows. Uh, hopefully the fast will feel a little bit more regular because I'm trying to get more action down over there. But um, Cobra Kai saying the slow drafts are so boring. When you do enough, then you're basically always on the clock. So it's almost like, you know, you can sit there for an hour and just draft picks like constantly. Um, you have to familiarize yourself with all of the teams, which can be a little difficult, but uh, it's like, sometimes it's like more action than being on a, in a, in a single fast draft. You know, you're almost multi-tabling at a certain point mm. in draft degeneracy. Jack, do you have a slow draft versus uh, fast, fast draft take? I, I definitely prefer doing the fast drafts. Like I, I'll have a couple times every summer where for whatever reason, I'll like think it's a great idea to join like 30, 50, however many at once. And then like, I'll get to like round eight and I'll be super bored. Um, but I mean, I'll probably yeah. do that again just because it's like a it's like a you know just like a for whatever reason sometimes i just get the urge to mass enter and so i'll do that and then you know a week later i'll hate myself but generally <laughs> i think uh i prefer the fasts i haven't done a single slow bbm and i don't plan to um and i don't i had to do the slow bulldogs because they were only slow but for the most part anything yeah. um you know 25 and up i prefer to do fast but for me it was a puppy strategy how do i get 150 of these puppies in yeah i mean it's undeniably like a plus ev strategy when those snapshot tournaments are about to close and then you get one extra how long do these last like a month the slow drafts or i don't know a couple weeks at least i think they last like a month yeah almost an extra weeks information kind of like it's it's kind of like i don't doubt that it's it's an edge but I've already, I've already been through the pain. I know that the clocks aren't going to change, but that was like, uh, you know, you know, the, what's the analogy? Like you, your parents get you smoking a cigarette and they force you to smoke the entire pack yeah. at once. Like I, I listen, like I'm I a smoked. hardcore smoker now. This backfired mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do You're this addicted. again. <laughs> yeah. I, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to use the star trick in this. Like you have to, like when you're, when you like fire off like 50 slow drafts at once, it's a blast because you're getting like you're picking in the first round, like in a million drafts at once. And you're just like, click, exit the draft, you know, pick, exit the draft, pick, exit the draft. Don't do that. Don't do it. It's so fun to do it, but don't do it. Pick, star the team, star the opposite team, exit the draft. Way less fun, but you will thank yourself later. Mm. Yeah, that's that's something I could definitely be better on. Um I, I do agree with the like snapshot tournaments, the slow drafts for I've I've only done like a couple best ball mania drafts so far because I'm waiting until like August and then I'm going to. Oh, damn. And then I'm, I'm like gonna, 43 like, deep right now. I'm planning to like because Leone had that uh, the best ball manifesto and it showed like that doing it later is better. Um, a lot of that is like the dead player. So I've just been waiting on my best ball mania teams. And then I guess I'm going to be like trying to crank out a bunch of fast drafts um, in August, I think is my plan. 
Yeah, that that makes sense. I think I'm gonna ramp up a ton in August. I still have been. I think I've got like 20 or so uh, best ball mania drafts in so far, but I've mostly been playing around the other snapshot tournaments and and waiting it out. But sometimes it's just it's too tempting to to do a best ball. Mania. Yeah, I did. A, oh, I probably did five this weekend. This is like. Yeah. I, I tell you what, when when a snapshot tournament opens up like a super flex Chihuahua. It's hard not to want to jump in Best Ball Mania for me. I'm like, I know that's where everyone's going to be. It's like super flex. It's like fun, fast draft only. Like everyone's going to be hanging out over there. I'm like, I think I might sneak over to Best Ball Mania and see what, what that looks like. So I did that. I honestly did that like five times. Got some really interesting teams. Did I did two McCaffrey. I think it was McCaffrey Pollard Brees starts that I did yeah, two of. Crazy. Uh, that just like, I don't know. This is not going to be around in August, right? That's what I that's what I've been saying since like these things opened up in May. Um and the running back, it's it's funny, the running back ADP has stayed, I think. Maybe they've crept up slightly, but I, I'm with you. I don't think that'll be a thing in August. Um yeah. It's also the type of thing we're gonna dive into this because Jack wrote an awesome article on the yeah. running back dead zone and how it's shifted over the last couple of years as ADP has shifted. But it is the type of thing where I would be much more hesitant to do that start. Um, like if there was no Chihuahua Superflex. But my hope is that there's just like enough of like kind of the wide receiver bros over there that I won't get absolutely punished by the room for going with that start. Um, and then I, I think I kind of pulled up. I, unfortunately, both yeah. drafts, Kittle fell all the way to the sixth round. So I only had three wide receivers through seven rounds on both teams. Um, but that, that's the big question right now is can you take advantage – and go like hyper fragile and take advantage of like really interesting running back prices early in the draft. Or um, are you better off grabbing one, maybe hitting the, the old dead zone as Jack writes about in his piece, that being a little bit more interesting. Um, there's like, it makes it, it makes it definitely like hard to know what to do at every point in the draft, which, which makes it fun. Yeah. And there's a huge dip. Like when I, I've done, you know, a handful of those RB, RB, RB starts, um, and it makes a huge difference, right? If you are in a room that's going to absolutely punish you at wide receiver and not let you catch up, or if you're in a room where, you know, Tyler Lockett slides around past ADP and you can get him in the seventh, or Mike Evans falls around past ADP and you can get him in the eighth, right? Like if, if the room kind of gives you a wide receiver value later, I feel like I get the best of both worlds because I can still hammer four wide receivers in that window and get three potential bell cow stud running backs. But the room doesn't always fall that way. And it, it can, like I have, uh, like you mentioned, Pat, I have had those teams where I start three running backs and then I end up with like three through seven or something like that. Um, Cause the room didn't hand me any water sewer values and it just feels really thin. But anyways, yeah, let's, let's dive into uh, Jack's Jack's article. So for those who aren't familiar, um, definitely I posted it uh, on Twitter. Um, you can find it on Jack's Twitter as well, but it's on established the run. Jack writes a really interesting article about the running back dead zone and how um, we have to reevaluate uh, if the dead zone still exists or to what extent it exists uh, with the changing running back landscape. So I guess I'll start with this, Jack. Um, from from your research uh, so far, do you think the running back dead zone, like as we traditionally defined it as you know running backs in rounds three to six, still exists on a site like Underdog? 
on underdog i think it's kind of tricky because like all the data we have is for a completely different like adp environment but if i had to just say yes or no does it exist to the you know extent we've seen in previous years i think i'd say no because of how depressed running back adp is and the half uh half ppr format over there yeah is it possible that, that it exists and it's just rounds five to seven instead of rounds three to six it could be um but like the whole it's not like the guys in rounds three are just cheaper like the guys in rounds three are cheaper but like it's like that through the whole draft i guess if that makes sense um although i i don't know if that really answers the question um it's such like different price points i guess like it's a different bet entirely because the guys that have underperformed i think like in rounds three or in rounds three and four like if you can get them in round six even if they're like scoring the same amount of points like it's a completely different bet um i don't know you know so one thing i thought that was interesting um i think along those lines this is a chart from jack's uh article so this is uh this red line here is running back scoring uh by draft position and half ppr points and the green line is wide receiver scoring by draft position. And traditionally what we've seen uh, in this dead zone, which you know I think roughly is picks like 36 through what, 72, if I'm doing that math right, we see a big gap where even in half PPR historically, you know, 2020, 2021, the wide receivers in that range are outscoring the running backs in half PPR. Last year, I think was the first time, and Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, where we saw that actually in that, dead zone range the running backs actually um outscored the wide receivers sort of on average so this was an interesting view where i thought that like maybe the market even last year uh was sort of pricing in the dead zone effect um more appropriately in that like you know these lines are pretty close right the running back and wide receiver lines like there's not a huge gap jack did i summarize uh that well or anything else you'd want to add on that yeah, basically. Um, like, I don't have the yearly half PPR data because, like, we have half PPR scoring for, you know, dating back 10 years, but we don't have the ADP. So we can yeah. really only do underdog for a few years. Um, but wide receiver typically has outscored running back um, on underdog over the past couple of years. And in PPR, it's been, like, a huge difference. We're in rounds three through six. Like, the, the blue line is way higher than uh, – than the red line um yeah and and there you see the ppr version and even that is like so much less pronounced than it was um Mm -hmm. in previous years and part of that is that it was a good scoring year for running backs in this range and a bad scoring year for receivers in this range which is you know kind of just like year to year variance but i think when you like pair the the that with the fact that rbadp is so different than it was three years ago um and this year like looking at this half ppr chart like running backs outscored wide receivers last year and now running backs are all like around cheaper um so when you kind (laughs) of like put those things together it kind of like begs the question of of does this exist anymore can we so i I just sent you a link sam for a tweet that hayden put out because i think what's so interesting about this is like okay so this data would lead us to think that we're coming off a year in which it was really good to draft at least one running back through the first six rounds. 
but it's the exact opposite. It was optimal to have zero running backs through six rounds last year. Um, mm-hmm. And per a chart that I just uh, put in the private chat here for you, Sam. Yeah, um, let me try to ways. share that. Sorry. One second. Um, second best was one running back. Third best was two running backs um, and so on. It never it never flips. The fewer running backs you had through those first six rounds, the better last year. Um, and so even though wide receiver prices were were more expensive and you could you know, you could say that, that was incorrect because they didn't score as well. Um, it was actually quite powerful to have very few running backs through through the early rounds last year. So what what are your thoughts on on that? Because it's kind of it's yeah. like hard to, to square those two things. I don't think that the answer because running backs are still like such a higher risk investment um, than receivers um, with, you know, the injury risk, like some of these guys in rounds three through six, like don't even have a secure hold on their job the whole year. So I don't think like the answer to the running back dead zone going away um, potentially is like to start going robust RB and loading up on running backs. I think like in the past few years, um, and you've written about this with um, bimodal or whatever it's called um, nowadays, mm-hmm. is that it was a good, like the running backs in, in the first two rounds previously had very high bust risk, but their ability to have like legendary upside um, was just absolutely off the charts. And so I think maybe with the depressed running backs ADPs in rounds three through six, the answer isn't to just like load up on running backs all of these rounds because there's so much evidence showing that wide receiver heavy starts are good. I think maybe it's just instead of being like, you get your two running backs or your one or two running backs in the first two rounds, and then you just pound wide receiver forever. Maybe the answer is, you know, focus on receivers in the first eight rounds, but you can sprinkle in a couple running backs, like wherever you want, as opposed to if you don't get one in two rounds, you're just going full on zero RB at that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that that's, I mean, that's kind of like how I'm thinking through this. So, so it sounds great to me. Um, yeah, because it does feel like the the issue that we have in current draft environments is that wide receivers, they've, they've gotten even more expensive than last year. You had a really interesting chart in your article. I don't know, Sam, if you can pull that one up. Um, that was showing the draft, the baseline underdog ADP and then DraftKings in comparison to that. And uh, FFPC, <laughs> which is just like, looks crazy, crazy in terms of how much later the wide receivers are going compared to underdog on FAPC, which is a full PPR format. Um, that's, as you know, that's somewhat because tight ends are pushed up in a, in a tight end premium format as well. But, um, you know, we have this wide receiver pricing on underdog. That's really unlike anything we've ever seen, especially for a half PPR uh, site. And that creates value. It almost has to create value at running back, but it also creates a situation where, you know, you can get like, fully locked out at wide receiver and can happen very quickly. Um, And so like there's this push pull of, I want to go get these running backs. I want to take advantage of these types of starts, but then, okay, I've done that. Like I I mentioned this, this McCaffrey Pollard breeze start that I did twice over the weekend Uh, on one of the teams, my, my top four receivers are Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwin, Michael Pittman, and Brandon cooks. It feels pretty gross. Like I, maybe I can get there if those running backs are absolute studs, but 
it can like get away from you pretty quickly at wide receiver. So that's, that's just, I don't know. It just makes drafting really interesting yeah. right now. So I, I wanted to say one thing on this, on this Hayden chart and let me try to share it again. Sorry, I was having some internet issues for a second. Um, but so um, is this sharing right now? It's no, sharing. just, just, the okay, way. there we go. Um, so this, this chart, what I think is interesting about this chart, Pat is so it talks about, right, um, it was optimal to have zero running backs through six round and kind of how do we square that with the, the last chart we showed where running backs are, you know, seemingly outscoring wide receivers in that range. I think, like, what, what I see when I see this chart is that, like, the league winning running backs weren't drafted in rounds six. Like, by closing line ADP, uh, Josh Jacobs was a seventh-round pick. Tony Pollard was a seventh-round pick. Ramondre Stevenson was a seventh round pick um, or later Miles Sanders. Yeah. Miles Sanders was like an eighth round pick. Jamal Williams was like an 11th round pick. Right. So um, I, I think like one interpretation of this chart and like a lot of the data that's showing how good zero RB is, is essentially measuring. Did you draft Ramondre Jacobs, Pollard, Kenneth Walker, or Jamal Williams who all went like round seven, eight later. Right. Those were like the biggest league winners. Well, not just back. did you draft them, but did you draft them and structure a team to maximize yes. that hit? Right. That's the that's sure. why the running back works. Is that it's not just that I drafted Ramondre. It's that I drafted Ramondre, and when he hit, it's like, sorry, you don't have the wide receivers I have because I'm matching you at running back now. Yeah, but I I do think it's like, like I, I agree with that. Um, but also, if you nail your if you go by modal running back and nail your two first round running backs and then hit Ramondre in round nine, like you did on your, you know, $2 million team, that's also extremely powerful. Right. So yeah, um, that also works. Just, yeah, that, that also seems to have worked for some people. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know, I guess like the reason why I think the data uh, shows this, like we, we have to realize that the running back league winners largely did come um in that eight nine ten yeah. eleven yeah. round range and not not rounds four through six um right but anyways um yeah i think another thing that's interesting on this jack is just the the ppr versus versus half ppr and even for ffpc i was surprised by like how tight this was too even like wide receivers are still outscoring running backs throughout which would expect um in full ppr but um, maybe it's just my memory serving me wrong, but I remember seeing like this huge sort of like gap in round, you know, picks 40 to 80 in prior years that just didn't show up last year. So again, um, you know, probably systematic, um, of what happened last year for wide receivers and running backs in that range. But I did think that was interesting as well. Um, yeah. yeah any, any thoughts on like the full PPR, if, if that's like corrected at all, or. I, I think it's correcting um, and you're right that in, in previous years, the gap between running backs and receivers in these ranges, like 50 points. And now just, uh, um, and now just like kind of guesstimating off the chart, it looks like last year was like 20 um, or 25, but it, it was like uh, a good year for running backs in these range. Like the, the group RB 10 to 25, scored more than usual and wide receiver 10 to 25 scored less. Um, and I don't really think that's like a, a trend. I kind of think that's just variance. Yeah. So that, that could explain part of it. 
but I do think it's really interesting that ADP is correcting, but it's not correcting like as much as underdog, which like you mentioned earlier, like it should be the opposite. Um, right. So I think on PPR, like, like FFPC um, or DraftKings or something like I'd still lean toward receivers in these range. Maybe not as strongly as I did previously, but I, I think generally I'm still going receivers in rounds three through six um, on the full PPR sites because receivers yeah. score more. Um, and like on those sites, you want to start a wide receiver in the flex, whereas on running back, it's sometimes more viable to have a, a running back there. Plus the ADP is not shifted as much. And Yeah. Go ahead, Pat. Sorry. Well, I just want to ask you, because like one of the reasons that the running back dead zone has been such a key thing to avoid in recent seasons, um, which you highlight in the article, is that if you were taking running backs in the dead zone, you're taking these profiles that we were kind of like systematically missing on. That you, you, you talk in the article, like when you compare some of Blair Andrews' work, like when you look at ADP versus uh, the expert consensus rankings at, at Fantasy Pros, there was sort of this like consensus bias or whatever, like we were just missing on these running back profiles in the running back dead zone, um, like systemically. And so you have that issue where it's like, it's these guys who were probably less good at predicting um, you're, you're taking those guys and you're doing it in a part of the draft where wide receiver has not fallen off yet, but is about to. And so I go, I want to get your thoughts on that part of it for this year, because as wide receiver moves up in price, where is that drop off for you occurring? Like, is it, you know, like around round five now, or is it, you know, it feels like to me, there's like a couple places you could nominate. I mean, I think there's a big tier break, even in the third round, there's a tier break that I see kind of more in like the early fifth round. There's another potential tier break in like the mid seventh round. Um, where, where do you think that fall off that's kind of, made the dead zone so powerful in the past like where is that uh placed in drafts right now yeah that's that's a good question too um we i mean one way to do it would be on a macro level i guess since we can quantify like how much these guys have jumped in adp we could just like take the end of sixth round cutoff um let me find how far around they've jumped but i'd say like that early round five, I think that you bring up is a good point. Um, and then maybe like late round six, but given how much they've jumped, um, that would, I guess, be like if, if, if we say it's late round six, but wide receiver ADP is up around, um, then that would go past what we previously defined as the dead zone. Where was the, where was the drop off happening before? It was around the end of round six. Um, obviously, it's kind of like approximated. Um, so we, yeah. I, I've for the like analysis I've done in the past, I've used um, pick seventy-two just because that's like easy for the end of the sixth round. But I, I guess more broadly, typically approximately um, at the end of the sixth round. Yeah, and I think to your question, Pat, like another. Like another answer to that question could be that like, and I don't, this wouldn't be my answer. I don't think this is exactly true, but like at a certain point, um, back to Blair's point of like, we used to systematically 
miss on positions in certain ranges. And that traditionally was we would draft running backs in rounds three to six when we should have been taking wide receivers because we were pushing running backs up, um, you know, with bad profiles, et cetera. It, it could get to a point that if we do push those running backs down far enough, they will be priced such that the opportunity cost at wide receiver is actually like the right pricing, if that makes sense, right? Like if the traditional yes. third round dead zone back balance goes within each other. Exactly. It, it, the percentage odds of the, you know, Mike Davis profile hitting, if he was a 10th round pick instead of a sixth round pick, maybe that's that actually accurately captures his his odds of hitting, right? And I don't think we've, we've fully got there. Like there's still running backs I'm avoiding in that range and there's still some I'm targeting. But um, I think like, what this chart kind of shows, right, is like we're getting closer to a world where there's not this systematic inefficiency of running backs being overpriced in a certain range, uh, pot potentially, right? Um, if this sort of trend were to hold for multiple years in a row. So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting debate. No, I think yeah. that's exactly right. Where it, if at a certain point, you know, there's this bubble of wide receiver value that has tended to, to exist. And then there's this group of running backs that are mostly – uh, they're mostly appealing because of projectable volume. And like those two things are never going to change, right? There's always going to be this group of running backs who's mostly appealing due to projectable volume and this group of kind of not elite wide receivers, but like really strong wide receiver profiles that were kind of like, I don't know who to pick, you know? And that group yeah. is like, you generally want to be overweight, that group of wide receivers and underweight, the wide receiver, the, the running backs who are just getting there on volume projections historically. But at some point, maybe if it's that those projectable volume running backs versus like, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, <laughs> then it's like, I yeah. think I'm going to take the projection-based running back at that point. So, yeah, at a certain point, like, but to me, right, it really comes down to what can I get in this part of the draft that I can't get later? And I'm trying to figure out you know, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting right now in drafts because when I look at a Brees Hall, um, and I'm I'm on the bullish side of the Brees Hall evaluation, but you know if you just kind of open your third eye and, and join me in, in uh, Brees Hall optimism land, if you, if you're uh, one of the people I'm that are really there. worried about it, you're there. I'm in optimism land. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> you know, if Brees Hall is the guy we saw as a rookie, if Aaron Rodgers isn't washed, um, and if he is at full health in the back half of this season, having a running back like that uh, in a tournament that is massively back heavy in terms of when we want our points to be scored. Like, you know, I, if I could pick which weeks my points are scored, it's 17, then 16, then 15, right? Like I want, those are the weeks I most want points. So having a young running back who's, you know, hopefully going to be at full health by the very end of the season um, and hopefully going to be able to pay off a third round ADP, which is not particularly high for, you know, a really strong running back uh, prospect, right? That type of pick, I'm like, I can't get this later. I can't get a guy who might be like the, the top scoring running back in all the fantasy playoffs later. Like there's just not much, uh, there's not much like a realistic chance of finding that later when you are moving into, so then, but then it becomes a question of like, okay, now in round four and five, like, what am I giving up? Um, at wide receiver, like, can I get these profiles later? Uh, and, and I think that's the big question in drafts this year. It's like, yeah. when is that cutoff of, I can't find this later at wide receiver? Because um, I can talk myself into like Traylon Burks and Jahan Dotson 
and that's a six seven round you know six seven turn type of player like i can talk myself into those guys being like legit high-end kind of breakout candidates um but maybe that's maybe i'm waiting too long maybe i'm i'm delusional if i think those guys are really going to keep keep up with the the wide receiver um heavy teams early on yeah yeah to answer the question from earlier about like when the new cutoff is for wide receivers if we just look at kind of i guess the macro level um receivers are going around six to eight picks earlier than last year so if you just take the end of round six cutoff that we've been using a lot um and apply it then we'd say maybe middle of the sixth round which kind of i think aligns with the micro level take just looking at the guys in the middle or later half of the sixth round that maybe kind of like that group though i like the last there. the late half of sixth round yeah I, I like like through addison maybe which i guess is the same cutoff we used later i i feel like maybe after that i start feeling a little worse about them yeah i uh, like pickens and and Dotson, okay. Uh, I like but... Gabe and Johnson, okay too. Yeah, I like, I, I, that's I... where it gets a little iffy for me. I'm I'm a little skeptical yeah. of Gabe, Johnson, Cooks, Elijah Moore, Bateman. But I, I like I understand that you can have different takes in those. But I think you have to at least like once you get to Tony. Like if we can, if each of us individually <laughs> yeah. start to see profiles where we're like, ooh, I don't know about that. It probably means that in general that range is a little bit like questionable. If that if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. But I like the late the late six. Right. I mean, if you. Just want to say, I guess Deontay's kind of moved into the early six, but he was late six for a long time. And then Evans, Burks, Addison. I mean, that yeah, feels like, like a pretty, guys. pretty strong group, actually. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Maybe after Addison, um, just kind of on the micro level in terms of how it feels. Um, but I guess part of, I mean, it's interesting because part of the whole point of the RB dead zone is that we're like, it's not based on the micro level, right? It's based on like, yeah the systemic uh efficiencies or lack thereof but it's like it is that systemic efficiency is based on adp isn't magic right it's like Mm -hmm. there specific types of profiles tend to go in certain ranges of the draft and my thinking on this is that those profiles as they move up and down are still likely to be sort of grouped somewhat together because the market as a whole is kind of valuing like you know, we've got our surefire running backs. We've got our, you know, got a, got a question mark or two, but man, the upside's appealing. Then you get into like, I think this guy might suck. Like half the market thinks he sucks, but the workload's going to be there. And like, to me, that's Najee Harris, you know, like half the market's like pretty much out on his profile. And so he, to me, signals sort of the start of like the traditional dead zone. And yeah, and so- it's at the very end of the third round or the early fourth. Um, so it's about like trying to find that pocket of the draft, which still is going to exist. And then trying to figure out if, if those prices relative to what you can get at the other positions are, are still too pricey. Yeah. So I, I got to point off that Pat, that exactly kind of transitions into where I wanted to go next. Um, this chart here, I wanted to sort of show, so we, we talked about how 2022, the ADP was different running backs were priced down a little bit and it kind of like things kind of smoothed out between wide receiver running back scoring. I think we now have to look towards 2023 where there's been another like 2022 was already a pretty big shift in ADPs. Now we have an even bigger shift in 2023. So this is just looking at running back ones uh, on underdog the last four years. And to me, this, this chart is incredibly striking. Like 
the the RB seven this year, Tony Pollard, which is uh, one of the sort of um, bright green lines in the twenty twenty three. He's going later than any running back twelve went over the last three years, and these were guys like I don't know Kenyon Drake and some of these running back profiles. These we were terrible picks about. for the record. Mostly yeah. they were terrible. Well, <laughs> t- terrible, but it was also like Jonathan Taylor uh, year sure, two sure. was around running back 12. Right. Like, so the, there's definitely, was he really, was he back running back 12 that year? Um, crazy. I don't think that can, be I right. think, I think he was, he was an early second 12. round pick. He was eight to 12. He was okay. the running back. Um, he was running back nine um, okay. by closing ADP, but that, that's Still the thing, right? <laughs> The running back nine used to be a one-two turn pick. Now the running back nine is like a mid-third pick. So yeah, that, that's kind of the point of this chart. And the question um, I have for you guys is like, I think the big thing to figure out, right, is like, are this year's running back profiles like uniquely bad and that's why they're being priced down? Or is there just like this systemic anti-running back bias based off like, you know, people's perception of uh, the data last year that's driving these things down. I don't know that it's fair. I I would just be careful about calling it a bias because we, we are coming off a year where running back ADP was down significantly and the move was to avoid running backs early. So like it is, it is possible that the market has just been drafting these backs like too early for a very, very long time. And it could be the case that, going zero running back this year is now a bad idea. But even if that's true, I think that hero running back could be the way to go. You know what I mean? That that diving in, like that hyper-fragile still might have a hard time in this environment because of how gross it gets at wide receiver when all the wide receivers are priced up like this. Yeah. Jack, do you have any thoughts on if like uh, uh, this year's running backs are – uniquely these this year's running back ones are like uniquely worse than they've been in years past i don't think like overwhelmingly so um i mean i was i was kind of like leaning toward yes but then like pat brought up like kenyan drake and these guys these are the guys that were going in (laughs) in the first round like only a couple years ago so i think it's to, to pat's point i think it's like a correction because i think there's a lot of data showing that the more wide receiver heavy starts have been optimal. And so people are, you know, naturally shifting toward that. But I I guess the question is like, if we've trended into like overcorrection territory, because this chart is pretty jarring. Um, So maybe there is an argument that the running backs this year are are slightly worse. Um, But I don't think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really think they're, overwhelmingly worse um such that it would justify a change of this extent i guess yeah i don't think so either i mean sorry pat pat go ahead you have thoughts on that yeah i have some thoughts so to me the the profiles are i i think the profiles through like you know eight through eleven are not really any worse um when you look at let me pull up the adp so, like Jacobs, uh, Henry, uh, Pollard, th- that grouping, Brees. Yeah, yes. like Pollard. Like Pollard. So if you go down from running back seven, uh, Pollard, Henry, Stevenson, Jacobs, Hall, and Harris. Um, especially if we flip Harris and ETN, which I would always do. Yeah, um, let's do that. That feels like 
Yeah, let's just do that. Uh, market, get that, get that right. Um, to me, that's like a very strong, like a very strong group um, of running backs yeah. from seven to twelve. And to me, that's the that's the group that I want to be overweight on. Um, mm-hmm. And I think when you can get those guys in the third round, I mean, it does it really does open up some things for you in your draft. Uh, at, at the same time, it creates downward pressure on the the early running backs because, like, okay, I only need, uh, well, you know, maybe I don't need, but I would probably prefer to have max two of these guys in the early rounds. Um, and so I'm sitting there looking at Bijan Robinson in the late first. And, you know, at the 108, I'm like, should I take Bijan? It's like, or Eckler? It's like, I might be able to get Brees here in the late third. I might be able to get Ramondre in the late third. Jacobs maybe even. Like, why am I Why am I going to take this guy? Like, I can get wide receiver, wide receiver. Um, to me, there's like a pretty big tier break that happens around, you know, Chris Olave or Devontae Smith. So I get two guys before that tier break. And then I can go get Brees. And maybe I, if I want to take ETN coming back in the fourth, like, all right, I, yeah. I feel pretty good about that start. It create it's like one of these things where if no one's valuing them, because we, I, I think a big part of this is like you, it just has never worked to go true robust running back. That has never worked. And like that would be, we almost need a, a year like we're taking five running backs in the first seven rounds was optimal. Like we need that year because <laughs> otherwise, because hyper fragile isn't even a true counter to this hyper fragile is saying, I'm going to get my three, you know, I'm going to get my two and grab one in the six or whatever, and then stop it for whatever you, however you want to kind of do it in this environment. But even then you're still limiting the total capital spend at running back. It's like yeah. hyper fragile originally was a counter to robust running back in some ways. It wasn't a counter to zero running back. Yeah, I, and so I, I agree with that, and I am not um, suggesting that robust RB is like the the, the counter. I, I do think that like what has shown up as a good strategy, and, and maybe not last year, it didn't show up very well. But uh, getting two running backs in in the first three rounds or first four rounds that did pretty well um, in, in 2020, two years 2021. Ago. Yeah, yeah it was and, and limiting limiting you know still limiting total capital spent at running back, but getting two guys early and then, um, you know, waiting a bit to get your third and fourth. I think like, um, and I tweeted about this, I don't need to go into all the details, but um, I think that's the counter to this year's uh, drafting landscape. And I'm not like reaching a shit ton on ADP. I'm not taking like Nick Chubb in the first round over Devonte Adams or doing stuff like that. But just like in general through three rounds, I'm going to have two running backs on like a huge percentage of my team and I know just looking at the numbers, like only 12 running backs are going in the first three rounds. So if I'm doing that most of the time, then I'm going to be overweight that strategy compared to the field. That's going to be my way, um, I think, of attacking this, what I see as a bit of an over uh, correction in this running back landscape. Um, I have some data here that th- this is like, obviously it's a, it's a little bit cherry picked, but I was trying to do a micro analysis of, okay, this year basically running backs two through 12 and wide receivers seven through 20 are basically being drafted in the same range. Whereas historically it used to be that like running back two through 12 would be drafted like ahead of wide receivers, like one through six. That's why zero running back was so good in like 2020, 2021, right. Or 
why in theory was really good. But now it's like the opposite, right? Where um, wide receiver twos are going like ahead of some some low end RB ones. So if you just take that grouping historically and go backwards, um, the running back one group generates spike weeks, um, like points above replacement at basically 150% or to 200% more than the wide receiver grouping does in that range. So that's why, and again, like I'm not saying ignore roster construction. I I still acknowledge you need one more wide receiver and underdog than you need running back all of that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying to throw that all out the window and only look at this. I'm just saying like this discrepancy in the spike weeks, given that I think this year's running back ones are not like uniquely bad by any means, particularly the low end ones. Um, that's why I think like a pretty clear counter to me is to go with the two running backs through three rounds. Again, like Derek Henry and Josh Jacobs can get injured in, in week one this year. And the strategy blows up in my face. Like I acknowledge it's not a hundred percent, uh, going to work, but, um, from looking at the data, that's what I think is, is the best counter to this landscape. Yeah. I tend to lean that it's, that it's one through the first three is, is kind of the optimal counter. Um, because, Again, the wide receivers being priced up so much, like really, really stings. Uh, and so it's like, it's about as well, like what can you get like later in the draft? Um, like, can you, can you find some of that running back upside later in the draft? And is there any wide receiver upside left? And it, so I, I do take, I take plenty of two running backs through the first three rounds. As I mentioned, I just did two, three running backs through the first three round starts, which I, I try not to do, but if I if I can get guys where I'm like, I don't know, like McCaffrey, Pollard, and Brees could be like the top three picks of like, you know, if we were drafting for the back half of the season, you know, depending on how the season breaks, <laughs> be like those are the top three guys you want. So, you know, I I will make exceptions there. But yeah, I think two running backs through three is totally fine. I I tend to prefer one through three because of more of a micro take thing, which is that I really fucking feel the tear break. You know, you can argue if it's Devante T. I think it's, I think there's like maybe even mini tear breaks there. Cause like to go from T to DK Metcalf feels like a big tear break to me as well. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, it's either a quarterback, Mark Andrews or a running back in the third round for me right now. Um, and I like, I like having two wide receivers before that. If I can do it, like I'd rather go cup Olave than cup, JT, you know, and and I think like in a vacuum, Cup JT is a better combo. But when I can go Cup Olave Jacobs or Cup Olave Brees or Cup Olave Henry, and I like basically know one of those guys is going to be there, or Ramondre, I like know for a fact I'm going to be able to get a really good running back pick in that third. Um, I just start to feel like my overall roster is better if I if I break yeah. ties to the one running back. I understand that. I, I yeah. I disagree, but I, I understand that. Um, I just think that, like, I don't want to overthink the that selection too much based on roster construction when I just think that, like, JT, Chubb, like, these profiles historically have way more upside than Alave. Not saying Alave doesn't have upside. He, he can hit, but just, like, zooming out, um, right? But I, I, I think... I, I disagree. I think Olave's. I mean, second-year wide receiver who is, you know, a target earner, first-round pick. I think that... Okay. Yeah, I, it's, not a, it's not a micro Olave... Yeah, it's, sorry, it's not a micro Olave take. I guess I'm just more going back to this, Pat, where like you look at the wide receivers that the market has priced in this range historically versus the running backs they've priced in this range historically. Like it's not even close, frankly. Like 150 to 200 percent higher odds of a spike week. Like 
Um, but I understand the roster construction point yeah. of view, but um, right. This is anyways. only one part of it though. This is one yeah, exactly. thing. Yeah. It's one thing, but I, I just think that big of a discrepancy in the odds of a spike week, I'm going to say, I'm I'm gonna like maybe take the minor hit to the to the roster construction argument and figure out wide receiver later and like just take the the archetype of player that yeah. historically has gotten you know spike weeks of yeah, much higher rate. But um, Jack, curious what your what your approach has been through you know let's talk early round roster construction. Do you have like a preferred uh, through three round strategy on underdog? Or are you kind of mixing it up or how are you how are you treating it this year? For me, I, I think it kind of comes down to like the micro player takes a little bit. Like I really like Nick Chubb this year. Um, I, I love Jacobs in round three a lot. So if I can get like two of the guys I really like, I'm more inclined to go two running backs through three. Um, otherwise, I'm fine with one. Um, like Pat mentioned, I, I do think this year compared to last, I can be more fluid because I feel like in previous years with the dead zone, it was almost like a – like a checklist of, of drafting. Like you would first, like the first two rounds I'd get like one running back, um, sometimes two. And then I was literally just almost thoughtlessly drafting yeah. wide receivers. Um, whereas this year with, with things so different, I'm more willing to just um, take both positions and, and take the value where it lies because the, the price points are so different. And then, I mean, I guess there's also something to be said for if we think this is a correction and not just like a, a crazy bias that people have yeah. because we've, we've seen that, um, you know, wide receiver every starts have been so good. So if it's a correction toward efficiency and maybe it's an overcorrection and there's, I guess, more reason to trust the market, whereas in previous years we, we could, you know, differ more. Um, if that makes any sense at all. Like yeah. if we like, I, I guess from a running back and wide receiver perspective, I'm leaning into the market a lot more than I was in previous years, instead of going into, let's say round four saying like, I'm taking a receiver here unless a running back falls absurdly past ADP. And I think that that kind of extends to the first few rounds as well. Like I'll just, you know, follow the market to some extent. That's fair. Yeah. It's really interesting. The point you brought up about like, yeah, I, I think the way the market is corrected opens up way more unique construction. Like it used to be, right? Like I'm basically just closing my eyes or, you know, unselecting the running back tab in rounds three through six in prior years and like completely ignoring them besides maybe one or two specific targets. This year, I'm like way more open to like most picks in that range because I feel like they've been priced appropriately. Um, so that's an interesting way of putting it where it's like, there's not as many clear rules, I think, anymore about like when you can and can't take running backs. Like if you want to build like an anchor running back team with like Joe Mixon or Kenneth Walker, like I think that's interesting. You can do that. Like there's all these unique, unique ways you can play it um, with the landscape this year. Pat, do you have something to say on that um, on Jack's point? I agree, although I I will say I'm pretty underweight in gen as a group, what we would probably call the traditional dead zone backs like mm -hmm. I'm. I'm, let's see, I'm like way underweight Najee. Uh, I don't really consider ETN like a classic dead zone back. He's entering his second actual year in the NFL after missing his rookie season. Gibbs is the is a kind of classic dead zone back as a rookie, but one of the types that we would want to be targeting in the dead zone historically, so I don't mind him. Mixon has his own issues. He's tough. But like, I don't have a ton of Walker that will take him in the mid to late fifth. Aaron Jones, I'm underweight on. I will take him sometimes. J.K. Dobbins. I actually kind of like J.K. Dobbins a little bit. Madison, I'm underweight. 
Sanders, um, Sanders is like the quintessential dead zone back to me. Like he, he fits kind of all the stuff from years past. Um, but what I'm curious about Jack is like, what, what's your view on the backs? Let's say like starting with, with actually, let's say starting with Madison, because you will see Madison and Sanders and Pierce sometimes fall into the seventh round. Um, and then Akers has basically a seventh round ADP. And then Swift, Pacheco, Dalvin Cook, David Montgomery, Rashad White, James Connor, Javante Williams, James Cook takes you until pick 96. And so that range of the draft, I would say it's fair. It's fair to say that wide receiver, we have had a tear break at that point. And, and these guys are also sort of classic dead zone backs, right? David Montgomery, uh, like a quintessential dead zone back if he was a sixth round pick, but he's got an ADP at the end of the seventh. You can get him in the eighth round. Then that that's actually to me where like we want to talk about like the shifting prices of the dead zone. This is the part of the classic dead zone that I'm kind of eating up the backs in. I, I'm sort of still passing Again, I will take Jones and Dobbins and, and those guys sometimes, but I'm like underweight the group of running backs that's still falling in like round the end of round five, but I'm pretty overweight the group of running backs that's actually like falling into, you know, round seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I I guess my question for you then would be if we're kind of comparing the market to where it was in previous years do you think that like Miles Sanders in previous years would have had the same ADP that we're no. comparing? So then like, I think it would have been like a fourth round pick. So then like, even though he has the classic dead zone, like archetype, I don't have like an answer to this, but can't, are, how can we be sure that like him in the sixth round is bad? Right. To me, it's less about Sanders specifically you know, and more, and like the archetype specifically and more about what's happening at wide receiver. So it's like my, my bet is that wide receiver hasn't fallen off yet is really what it is, is that I'm the opportunity cost remains high. My gut feel is that the opportunity cost remains high when I'm looking at Sanders compared to the wide receivers around there. And that the way I've constructed my teams, especially if I've, if I've built the way Sam builds and gone two in the first three, like, I don't even know that I have the flexibility to take Sanders over the wide receiver in that range. Like I kind of have to take the wide receiver there, you know, it's the way I think about it. So that's like why I'm uh, shying away from Sanders, even though I do agree. There's probably maybe even like a two round, maybe even a fifth round pick, but I would say at least a round discount relative to this like 2019 ADP. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I I think that makes sense. Um, I I agree with you on Sanders from a micro level. I just feel like less, certain in that because the price is so different but i do agree with you that i feel a lot better taking these guys later um like david montgomery i think is is a great value um right now and and other guys in these range too connor connor is no one challenging him he's old and he's on a terrible offense (laughs) but like like you know zero running back uh sam you talked about earlier how you could get like these amazing wide receivers in the early rounds in like 20, you know, 15 or whatever, which was Mm -hmm. definitely true. But what then you were left with is like committee backs in like round seven, you know, you were like taking 
guys that we were that we are now taking in like the 10th round or the 11th round or even like the 12th round sometimes would be like your RB2. And so like it does feel to me like as much as James Conner comes with all sorts of risk and <laughs> you know could be a total disaster I'm like that's a profile that has not been priced like this historically. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um and and like I have brought up that and I'll show this chart here that like once you get to a certain point, at least relative to last year, again, reminder, last year running backs were still priced down, but at least relative to last year, once you get to running back like 33 to 49, the prices aren't that much different. But Connor is squarely in the range where the prices are heavily discounted to last year. So I agree and with you, Pat, that like this was the range to take running backs. Like even if they were the yeah, same yeah. prices as last year, you'd be like, great. This was yeah, this yeah. is what worked. So yeah, I, I'm with you that like um and maybe this is where we differ, where like I do a lot of builds where I, I go two running backs through three, and then I hammer wide receiver. Maybe I, I take four rounds three through six. Um, is that right? Yeah. And then I get to round seven and eight. And if I'm staring at like David Montgomery or James Conner, I'll tack them on as my running back three in round eight. And I think that's not that different from what you did um, on your best ball mania team, right? You took Ramondre probably in the 10th instead of the eighth, right? Um, yeah, but I mean, if you want to talk about like com converting it to auction dollars, if you were to go, you know, wide receiver, running back, running back, um, and then grab a running back around eight, like you, you probably even spent less than I spent on my exactly. on my running back, running back start, and then running back around ten. So it's yeah. like, and I think we we need to start thinking about things like more like that as things start to get sh like shifted around. Like it's not going to be as easy as running back running back then then skip yeah why the, the running backs here like you're gonna have to think about things more like budgeting in terms of this pick is worth this amount of dollars type of thing i think exactly i think it requires much more creativity than than we've had in the past and um yeah again just just to finish my point i think like the pushback i get a lot of my strategy of two running backs through eight it's like oh you then you can't get any running back values later it's like well i don't know if i hammer wide receivers of four of my next five picks and then I'm looking at Montgomery in round eight. I'll, I'll do that. And then I'll build out, you know, a later round quarterback and later round tight end strategy. Like, I don't think it, it necessarily precludes me from getting to those. I understand that like, um, I, I probably on average, like can't take advantage of the running back values later as much, but I think I can still get a running back in that range. Even if I go too early, I have to be careful are, about how I do it, but it's are still you willing definitely. to go, uh, let's say running back, running back quarterback. Or running back, um, running back, running back. I, I have I have done that, and I and I treat that pretty similarly. Where um, then in my next four or five rounds, I'm getting wide receiver almost every round, unless something yeah. crazy happens, yeah. um, right? Like someone falls way past ADP. Uh, I am willing to do that, um, and I have been. Uh, this is a whole other comp topic of conversation, um, but yeah, the third round quarterbacks once I, all the I think backs it's, are gone are great. Yeah, I think it's a huge part of this conversation though because the. Outside yeah. of Lamar, who I take a lot of these days, uh, like in my in my 150 slow drafts or whatever, like Lamar is a big part of of uh, I don't know my exposures yet because they're still ongoing, but I've been taking a lot of them. Um, and it's because I think the running back tier break has happened and there's been a wide receiver tier break and Andrews is gone. So I'm like, Lamar, this is easy. But when you look at the early half of the third round, the running back tier break has definitely not occurred. Um, you could maybe even get a wide receiver who you like there. And then, uh, you know, but then it's like, okay, if I want to go wide receiver, running back, running back to start my draft, 
I'm going to have very little of Mahomes, Allen, and Hurts. And I, I think I am underweight all three of those right now. Yeah, I am as well. Uh, but I don't like it. I would like to be – I'd like to be – because I, I will say from the early part of the draft, Sam, I'm probably more on your side of things where I, I – I would bet I have a lot of wide receiver, running back, running back starts yeah. from the early part of the draft because unless Olave's fall, when Olave used to fall to the two three turn, that wasn't true. But now that he like tends to get snapped up, I I just uh, I start to to feel like why why wouldn't I just do that? And the one answer though is the elite quarterbacks, which makes this a yeah. conversation. I, I had one point so. Not to, to pick on Nick in the chat, um, saying so he says saying wide receivers are mispriced ultimately doesn't matter, even if true, because there's no counter strategy to exploit it. Um, if you don't take a wide receiver through three to four rounds, you're buried. And um, so I want to say on that, what I want to say on that, and I, I hear that a lot, is that like even if wide receivers are mispriced, there's no way to exploit it. Like let's take this all the way to the extreme. Like imagine we get you know we're in 2025, um, wide receivers are literally going with the first 48 picks in the draft right are you saying that like then i shouldn't be taking the running back one and running back two over you know the wide receiver 24 and 25 when i'm at the you know the the two three turn like i just don't buy the argument that like drafting wide receivers and chasing them up as far as possible is like some perito like optimal strategy that has no counter to it like at a certain point the the bets at wide receiver are worse than they are at running back and like I get that you have you need more wide receivers than running backs, but like I, I don't know. I, I just want to like maybe I'm getting overly angry about this point, but like there is a breaking point of of this of wide receiver extreme. There, there's a theoretical break. There point has to sure. be a breaking point. Like you can't just say yeah. like ah you got to keep chasing them up, chase them up, chase them up. Like okay, maybe we haven't corrected. Like I'm, I'm open to the argument that like maybe we haven't corrected yet, or this is an appropriate correction. But like I fully reject the argument that like you just keep chasing them up no matter, no matter how they go. Like that, that to me, um, it does make it tougher though. Like, cause like if you're okay, if the wide receivers are, uh, you know, as, as the market chases them up by definition, everything else is getting pushed down. And so it's like you, it's, it's not just that, you know, you, you went in and you got the running back one and the running back two, but you might be competing against guy who was the running back five and the running back six at much, much, much better prices than you. Um, and he's got the wide receiver firepower. So that's why I think it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, does, it is more point. complicated than, than just like, you know, I've got the running back one and I got him at an amazing price. It's like, yeah, but so does the running back, guy who got the running back five has an even more amazing price and he's going to beat you at wide receiver. So it's, I think, I mean, look, I, I'm drafting plenty of running backs early. And last year I was, I think zero running back was my heaviest strategy. It was basically tied with here running back. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I'm not doing a ton of zero running back starts right now. So I, I do agree that like yeah. the market is different than last year and we should probably be attacking it differently. But you know, when you take, when you go running back, running back, running back and your first wide receiver is Terry McLaurin, which is an actual thing that happened to me this weekend. It does feel <laughs> like I, this, I, I might have better things to do for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah it doesn't feel i'm not saying it yeah it definitely doesn't feel good but i don't know man like you, you 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 need some things to go right but you need you need things to go right in every draft you do you hit this year's zay jones in round 13 you hit on mclaurin all of a sudden you know you're, you're in a good yeah. spot right like but it gets thin like it gets, it gets it feels yeah like it yeah gets thin. yeah it Your does thin yeah. yeah not but um, i think the reason to do it 
right is that the upside at running back is so unmatched like you can't this is like the whole legendary running back uh concept is that you're not gonna get from uh like dk metcalf is not gonna give you what an ultimate hit from you know josh jacobs Ramondre stevenson Brees hall you know you're just not gonna get if tony pollard just gets fed you're not gonna beat him with t higgins because no. that's that type of season that Tony Pollard with, you know, elite efficiency plus volume plus receiving plus they score a bunch of touchdowns and he's the goal line back. That type of season is not available at, you know, a second round. I mean, you could say maybe it's available from Justin Jefferson specifically, but like or Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase, but it's not available from the wide receiver in that range. And if you were to happen to hit on two of those seasons and a function in a healthy solid season from the third running back like you're not gonna match everyone at wide receiver you aren't but like at that point like they're not gonna match you at running back so there is this to me i mean i still think you really want to be focused on the upside here probably more yeah. than ever right and this is easy for me to say as the guy who's who writes about running back upside in the early rounds but you're i think it's more important than ever because what can i get later in the draft at running back i can get projected volume more than i've ever been able to get in years past James Conner, Rashad White. I mean, these dudes are like three down backs. Like there's no, and there's no one on the fucking depth chart who can challenge them right now. That might change, but there's like <laughs> literally no one. Like they're going to get all the volume. That's not a profile that you want to chase into the, the sixth round or whatever, but you don't have to. Seventh, eighth, ninth round for these guys. Like that is, if you're taking Ramondre because you don't really believe in the talent, but you think, you know, he's just going to get fed or you're taking Najee Harris. Cause yeah, he hasn't been good, but he's going to get, he's going to get the work. Like I can get going to get the work later. What I can't get is going to wreck fantasy football in 2023 later. So that's, if I'm going to yeah. dive into the running back value right now, I still want to be very focused on the, on the upside part of it. Yep. And I got I got one one last uh, bit of running back propaganda to to Pat's <laughs> Pat's point about running back upside. So uh, this is Derrick Henry, the guy who uh, the stats nerds every year say you know he's not going to do it. He only relies on carries. Uh, these are his half PPR point per game finishes the past four years: uh, 17.9, 23 in that eight or nine game stretch in in 2021, 20.2, and 19. So you take the average of those four seasons. That's 20 half PPR points per game over the last four years. There have only been two individual wide receiver seasons in the last four years that have been higher than that. It was Devontae in 2020 and Cup 2021. Besides that, no wide receiver in an individual season, not the average of their seasons, in an individual season is beating Derrick Henry's four-year average in points per game. So that's just a point of like, at some point, if that if that running back profile and I'm not talking about Derrick Henry this year um, and his age. I'm just talking about like the upside that you can hit at running back. If you hit that upside at running back, like good luck matching it with like the wide receiver 15. Um, that That's all I'll say. Um, yeah. That is the thing you can't match. Yeah. <laughs> now do Derrick Henry versus the Texans. <laughs> I love that comment. Um, it's probably 35 PPR points or something, something ridiculous. Yeah. If honestly, probably. <laughs> All right. The first TPP uh, win was uh, Derrick Henry versus uh, versus the Texans. Stacked, stacked, uh, double stacked Watson with Henry coming back. Yeah, he puts up points against the Texans. 
and Jack, he gets any him, last? And he gets him twice in week 15 and 17. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it doesn't really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Davis actually Davis paid Jack, <laughs> paid Jack to say that on the show. He had to get it in once per yeah. show. Um, okay. This show is called ADP Chasing. We're an hour and seven minutes in. We have not chased any We've ADPs. The ADP away. The ADP. <laughs> we have not caught the ADP. <laughs> um, I will say, um, keep listening to the show. Don't turn it off. Not the most exciting ADP movements this week. We're talking Paris Campbell again for some reason. We're talking Brandon Ayuk continuing to move up for I don't know what reason. But uh, let's start with Paris Campbell. Um, he is the biggest riser by raw ADP by, by quite a bit. He's up 20 spots to pick 182. Jack, I'm curious how the ETR team and you are treating this Giants wide receiver situation. Um, wh- what do you think of Paris Campbell? What do you think of uh, the Giants wide receivers? Yeah, with, with the Giants receivers, uh, we've, we're kind of just like throwing our hands up in the air and saying like, you know, we don't really know who the guys are going to be. Uh, we did move. Previously, we had pair or we had Wandale as the the slot receiver, assuming it's it's him versus um, Wandale versus Paris for the for the slot competition. We previously had Wandale ahead, but with you know his injury question marks and with the recent Paris Campbell steam, um, which obviously has come without Wandale being healthy, um, we kind of moved everyone closer together. Uh, I do think at this point it's gonna be Wanda or Paris, Slayton, and Hodgins as as the three to open the season. But like with Hyatt there, and with uh, Wandale presumably working his way back to full health, like I I truly have no idea who is gonna be the guy at the end of the year. And in the projections right now, I think we have like four or five guys between eight percent projected and eleven percent. Um, and then we've just kind of bumped guys like Jalen Hyatt up in their upside case, just because as, as a mm-hmm. rookie, he's that he has that profile where he could smash at the end of the year. Um, how are you handling Shepard and Crowder? Do you guys expect those guys to make the team? We have them quite a bit lower. We project like everyone that's that's on their roster. Um, I could let me pull up the exact order we have. Um, <clears throat> we have these guys in right now. We have Davidson Crowder very low. We have Shepard kind of trailing the first four of Slayton, Hodgins, um, Wandale, and uh, Paris Campbell. And then we have Jameson Crowder as, as almost a non-factor, really. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, Shepard's the one where, like, I want to treat Shepard like he doesn't exist. But, man, if, if he's healthy, like, even coming off a torn Achilles, right? And it a torn, torn Achilles. Yeah, so but but he tore his Achilles, came back last year, and they actually played him a lot, and he looked good, right? And then he tore yeah, his ACL. Solid. Yeah. So I'm, my point being is like when he's healthy, the team plays him. Even with this new coaching staff, they played him. So he's he's the guy where I'm like, man, does Hodgins like get cut because Shepard makes the team or something? Like uh, I don't, I don't need to go through the Hodgins thing again because I actually like Hodgins. I've been taking Hodgins, but I just have that in the back of my mind. Like to me, the um, the anti-Hodgins case at this point comes down to um, Darren Waller Uh, and Gretch has been talking about this a lot is that Darren Waller is probably going to get split out wide some. Um, And I've seen some of that in, in some of the, you know, athletic reports. I'm talking about him moving around. Uh, He's played about 20% of his snaps out wide historically. Uh, And you would imagine it kind of plays like the X wide receiver spot, which is Hodgins primary role. So that, that worries me a bit. Um, Maybe I'm overconfident, but I do not think Hodgins is getting cut. I think Hodgins is making the team. So 
I'm not worried. Like, and and if you look at the contract on Shepard, they can easily move on. They can easily given that. Yeah. yeah, if Hodge like Hodgins held down that spot for them and gave them some stability at the end of the year. Yep. I would be kind of shocked if they cut Hodgins and to keep Shepard. I think they could pretty easily, you know, keep Shepard on speed dial and just go with Hodgins into the beginning of the year. Because who's signing Shepard? Yeah, that that's fair. Um, I, I just make the point of that. Like, he's been on the team for a while, and last year they played him when he was healthy. But I, I agree with you. It's probably, like, one of these things where I'm baking in, like, a 10% probability in my head or something, and, like, I'm, I'm overthinking it. Uh, but to Hy- I think Hyatt is an interesting one, and I'm going to jump to the fallers here. You mentioned Hyatt, Jack. He's down 12 spots, uh, the biggest faller. And um, yeah, you mentioned the up, upside case for him. Like sometimes I wonder if guys like Hyatt, we kind of punish them for going below expectations in the draft when in reality, those like expectations kind of were just like in fantasy Twitter's head and like <laughs> didn't really exist. Like he's still a third round pick. He had a good production profile given it was kind of gimmicky and in Tennessee. The dude went for a six, two Oh seven and five touchdowns versus Alabama. Like I almost wonder if he was like, the sleeper prospect that didn't have first round buzz and he ended up going in the third round would kind of be like excited about him in like a Marvin Mims type way. But the fact that like he was supposed to go in the first round and then went to the third, we're like punishing him for it. I mean, it's still a wide open depth chart in New York and he has like elite athleticism, um, pretty good production. So yeah, curious what, what you guys see for the upside case with Hyatt um, starting with you, Jack. Yeah. I mean, I think the upside case is that he's like, the wide receiver one um, at the end of the season um, and probably secondary option besides Waller. I mean, the reason for, I think the the reason he's falling is because of those reports that he's playing with the third team offense. But I, I don't think that, you know, given that he's a third round rookie in June um, with a bunch of guys who've been in the league for a while, I don't think that that's super surprising. Um, we had Hyatt, I think, as overvalued when he was going. Yeah earlier a few weeks ago but now we and and we haven't we docked him a little bit uh just kind of keeping pace with the market but we are now above adp on jalen hyatt um because i don't think that like the recent reports are that notable really pat what about you i know you were also in kind of a similar position are you now in more in on hyatt now that he's falling I mean, I think the fact that he was talked about as a potential first round pick and then went into the third round is a like a major like, you know, you, you shift your evaluation of a guy when he when he is like, oh, this guy could be a first round pick. Like if Zay Flowers was a third round pick, I would feel quite a bit different about him. So I've been sort of surprised that this hasn't happened sooner, that we haven't seen Hyatt tumble to me, this feels like a correction. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm willing, like, okay, if Hodgins was a 13th round pick, Slayton was a 14th round pick, um, and you could get Hyatt at 177, I would be taking Hyatt a lot. But I still get it. Like, he's still, like, there with – there's, like, a part of the draft that's now basically reserved for Giants wide receivers, and they all go together. And so I don't, I don't think he's my favorite still. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a third-round rookie. He was very raw. I mean, this guy was, you know, kind of a deep threat out of the slot, kind of out of this gimmicky offense. Um, he He's a one-year wonder. He's an early declare, but he's a one-year wonder. I mean, I could see him doing very little this year. 
Uh, I could also see him emerging as the clear deep threat and displacing Darius Slayton and looking like, you know, a, a smash in the late rounds. But it's not someone that I'm trying to be super overweight on right now. Like, if I want, you know, a really cheap third-round wide receiver, I can get Josh Downs now in the last round almost. Sure. 17th, 18th round Josh Downs. So I'm kind of going more there uh, for my free third-round wide receiver. You can get Cedric Tillman completely for free in the third round. Um I mean, can he displace uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones at the end of the season on the outside? Like, I would say those are like pretty similar likelihoods. Uh, I would, Hyatt's got a better chance of displacing Slayton than um, Tillman does of displacing Donovan Peoples-Jones, I guess. But like, I don't know. You're just like betting that one of these third rounders gets on the on the field and scores some touchdowns on the right week, I think. And I have to pay a premium still on Hyatt relative to the other third rounders. With Hyatt um, and, and how you mentioned that there's a range where all the Giants wide receivers go, I definitely agree with you that, like, I think there's a chance he does nothing this year. Um, but like you mentioned, there's a chance that by the end of the year, he's the clear wide receiver one um, yeah. and or the clear maybe deep threat is a better way to put it. But um, when isn't that like he's probably has a lower chance of being any of being like anything than Isaiah Hodgins, but wouldn't like that profile of having that upside be significantly better than someone like Isaiah Hodgins when we're talking about guys late in the draft? Because like, what do you think Hodgins ceiling is, I guess? Because I think he has a a pretty good chance to be on the field a good amount and be like a fine player. But I think Jalen Hyatt has more upside for sure. But maybe that's me just falling in love with the unknown of like a rookie's range of outcomes. I mean, I think Hyatt probably has better odds of being like, you know, a really impact player down the stretch. But the issue with with Hyatt is that he doesn't really profile as like an Amon Ra where he's just going to earn a ton of targets, you know, once he gets out there. Like he's more, he's Daniel Jones deep threat, which isn't like a particularly exciting archetype. And then compared to Hodgins, like I think Hodgins could, his upside to me is that he's the Giants wide receiver one all season. And with Darren Waller on the field, that's like less appealing than it even would have been last year. But that's essentially it's like he's a, you know, he's like equivalent to a guy you can get in like the seventh round and you're getting him in the late, the very late rounds, which isn't like the the massive, massive hit. You know, he's but I, I think it these, these prices, I think Hodgins can be essentially a best ball league winner. Yeah. My, so my approach to maybe summarize like. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm taking all these guys. I'm taking like yeah. I'm taking all these guys. Can, not it, not Campbell so much for me right now. Okay, I, I have I have mixed Campbell in a little bit, but if I was to rank or like my exposure, I'm going to be most uh, overexposed to Slayton. Then Hodgins and Hyatt will probably be tied next for me, and then I'll probably have a little bit of Paris. And I'm pretending Wandale doesn't exist. That's another conversation. But. Well, I was too, but hey, he, he's he's going cheap now. I'm starting to mix Wandale in again. Okay, I'm fine. Talking yeah. about end of season upside. I mean, he he can displace Paris Campbell in the slot, and you know, second round pick of theirs last year. If he's healthy, yeah, it's just the archetype of like it's the archetype of a guy and an offense where I don't see a ton of upside for the slot guy, which maybe should be why I'm I shouldn't be taking any Campbell either. But anyways, my my overall point, like I, I'm okay if you want to make cases for any of these guys. Like I've just heard people saying like ah uh, just 
you know, it's like the same thing of like the Patriots running back thing back in the day. People are just like, ah, don't waste your time with the Giants wide receivers. Just don't take any of them. It's like, if you're giving me, some of these guys are going to be the starting wide receivers in the Giants by the end of the year. And they're absolutely free. Like I'm like, I'm taking them. And I think there's a chance that, um, you know, in a day ball offense, Daniel Jones has a, a leap in year two and they, they pass more. We saw that in the playoffs uh, a little bit against the Vikings. Um, they, they had a higher pass rate over expected. I think there's upside in this passing offense and, you know, it, it could be that these guys are a waste of time, but at their prices, uh, I, I think taking stabs on all of them is, is a pretty good approach. Well, where um, are you guys at on these quarterbacks? Cause to me, that's the big thing is that, so I'm my second highest drafted quarterback right now is Matthew Stafford. And my fifth highest drafted quarterback is Daniel Jones. So I'm, I'm taking a lot of these wide receivers, but it's because I think Stafford and Jones are both really undervalued. So you know, I'm only 11% on Dan Jones. I'm pretty spread out at quarterback. I have 12.6% Stafford. So it's not like I'm like absolutely hammering either guy, but it does put me in a position where I'm like, I know there's points on these. I know there's points on the Giants because I just drafted Daniel Jones, or I know there's points in this week 17 game because I drafted Matthew Stafford. I'm betting on that game to go off. I want, I want the guys who are going to score those points. So um, I think for me, some of my optimism or my willingness to kind of go into the uncertainty here stems from the fact that I like this game. I like these two quarterbacks at their cost. It would be different if I was like just kind of out on, yeah. you know, on Jones at his price or whatever. Jack, you targeting either of these offenses or both of them? I, I like the Giants a lot more than the Rams. I, the Rams, I think, just scare me with like, I think they could just like blow up um, in a bad way, I guess. Um, just because the roster is so devoid of talent beyond their beyond Stafford, um, Cup, and Donald. Um, so I, I don't really – I don't have much of the Giants-Rams game just because I, I feel like there's a lot of risk there. But I don't mind, like, the Giants offense um, as a bet individually. Got it. I have uh, – I just looked at this now. Uh, I don't think I have as many teams as you, Pat, but I have 40 teams uh, – post draft now i must have more oh i guess this is no. excluding super Bowl. just Wait, 40 what? teams post that can't be right no that can't be right i feel like sometimes the exposure thing doesn't show all of your teams i have 191 <laughs> i have like fucking 300 pre-draft something disgusting anyways um in in my sample of teams whatever sample this is 26 percent daniel jones 20 percent matthew stafford so okay um, so you're in Good. I'm pretty in uh, on on the Giants. I and I have a good clip of Waller too, so I'm not always playing it through the wide receivers. But I like Waller a lot yeah. too. Yeah, like Daniel Jones at this cost would have smashed last year. Maybe not smashed, but been a good pick last year. And they added a good bit of receiving talent another year in the system. Um, I just I think he has some untapped upside. So yeah, they're behind him. They yeah. they signed him to a big contract. Like yeah, they're behind yeah. him. We, we have Dimes uh, 14 picks over ADP at ETR, so I'm definitely in on him. And I think kind of as it relates to the Patriots running back um, metaphor maybe and and with Wandale falling, um, like Pat mentioned, maybe the answer is just if – and like I said, we have these guys all projected like very similar target shares. We've adjusted the upside cases a little bit just to – account maybe for Hyatt being the rookie having a wider range of outcomes but maybe the answer is just like take the cheapest guy and and I think 
to Sam's point, like Slayton is my favorite Giants receiver right now. Um, yeah. And he's, you know, going the latest of them. So I, I think that's yeah. kind of how I'm thinking about it. Hodgins is my favorite, but I love Slayton too. And I'm taking, I'm, I am taking Hyatt, especially correlated. The times that I'm taking Hyatt um, yeah. are really when I have Daniel Jones mostly. Um, but, you know, is a super cheap bring back. And then they, in any given draft, any of these guys can be available in like the last round. Like I just got Hodgins in the last round. So yeah. even though he's the most expensive, he's not expensive, you know, and, and he will fall. Um, yeah, I think it, I want to get your thoughts on this because both of you guys, the I, what, like I don't necessarily love, although I know some sharp people are, are doing the thing where you just grab a backfield and you're like, I'm betting on commanders running back or whatever. Um, but I don't mind in this case being like, especially from a portfolio perspective, I'm like, I'm overweight Giants wide receiver, like Giants wide receiver. If Giants wide receiver has a good year, like I'm going to have a good year uh, because I I feel pretty good about Slayton's making the team. Hodgins is making the team. Campbell's making the team. Wandale's making the team. I feel pretty good about that. And Hyatt's making the team. So there's Hyatt, five yeah. guys that I feel pretty good about making the team. Um, pretty good to very good. And so if I'm just overweight them as a group uh, and Daniel Jones has a good year, but as I mentioned, I'm already betting on Daniel Jones, then uh, – you know, it's like the way wide receiver scoring happens, the way this this is probably not gonna be an ultra concentrated offense. Like maybe maybe the right answer is Slayton, but Wandale has the big week when you need it or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's a much different argument than grabbing a whole backfield because those guys are competing against each other, I think, a lot more. Whereas if this passing offense just goes off with Daniel Jones, um, then I mean everyone's gonna crush ADP or, or everyone can maybe not maybe not everyone but multiple of these guys can crush ADP whereas it's a much harder for multiple guys in a backfield to smash if you if you nail the three wide receiver set uh in New York and uh Daniel Jones say Daniel Jones doesn't have that good of a year and Paris Campbell's a starting slot and he gets like 600 yards and four touchdowns that's good in the 18th round like that's all I'm saying it's like it's like it, it you know, that's the thing. The price makes this um, such a good pet, in my opinion, where if you say, I'm going to go all in on the Chiefs wide receivers, I don't like hate that as a take. Like if you want to do that, I understand the logic for it, but that can really hurt you if you're taking a bunch of Tony in the seventh, even a bunch of Sky and in the 10th, um, he's in the 10th, 10th. Exactly. Right. That can that can really start to hurt you. Whereas, um, you know, I, I take a Daniel Jones stack and I tack on two of these guys at the end and they are just not that good. Okay, that my 17th and 18th round picks. Like, that, I'm fine with that. They're so cheap that I think you can go. I think you can go Hyatt and Slayton and just be like, I have their deep threat. Like, yeah. the, you know, there's again, I wouldn't want to do that if I wouldn't take like. I although I actually probably have taken Rashi Rice and Sky Moore and just hope they don't play the exact same role. But if they do play yeah. the exact same role and one of them's a bust, like that's like burning a 10th round pick to find, you know, like some okay production out of the slot in Kansas city is probably not going to be good, but burning like an 18th round pick to get, you know, between your 16th and 18th round picks, like a, a usable wide receiver is I think like fine. Like if, if you hit on one of your 16th or 18th round picks, fuck yeah. So if I'm putting them together and I've increased my odds of one of them hitting significantly, I, I don't know. I kind of, I'm kind of into it. Yeah. That's a good, uh, Trans, or Jack, sorry, did you have something else to add there? Oh, yeah. I, I was just going to say, like, I don't think 
Hyatt and Slayton, I think it's unlikely, but I don't think it's like a hundred percent that if Slayton does, if Hyatt goes off, then it means Slayton is dust. Like if Hodgins gets hurt, maybe both of those guys are on the field a lot. Um, You know, maybe it's a little bit harder with Paris and Wondell because they might be more confined to the slot, but with the outside guys, especially like if, if Hodgins goes down and Hyatt flashes early in the year, and Slayton is, you know, still adequate, then, like, those could be the three guys. So I don't think that it, like, they they do, they are, I think, maybe negatively correlated for playing time, but it's not, like, so crazy that both of them could be on the field, um, depending on what happens. Yeah, right, because Hyatt, Hyatt could play in the slot, or, yeah, something goes wrong with Hodgins. I think Hyatt's, Hyatt's profile is so weird that it's so hard to project him to a specific role in the NFL. I think he's, like, most likely a Z or, or slot, but like you can see Slayton at the X and uh, Hyatt at the Z in some games if Hodgins is injured, whatever. Like it's not, I don't think that's impossible. This is also, um, this is Brian Dayball here, okay? Like what if they're running four wide receiver sets? Yeah. You know? What if they're running three wide receiver sets, but, you know, Waller split out and is actually basically a fourth wide receiver for, for the purposes of that, you know? So, you know, it's split out in the slot. So it's like you could get a number of these. The other thing is that we talked about Hodgins as the X and stuff. He played a fair amount of his snaps in the slot last year. Mm-hmm. So the idea that like he's not like Michael Gallup, who's just like does the exact same thing, like every single snap. Like, and, and in fact, there are very few players like that. Um, most players move around to some extent. So, yeah, I think Jack's right on there where it's like you could. This is so ambiguous that. You know, and there's probably points here, and maybe maybe you pick two guys who you think are the exact same, and like Hyatt and uh, Slayton, and then it turns out they're not. They're not the exact same. Both are playing. Yeah, let's talk. We, we hit a bit on the Chiefs. I do want to talk uh, Sky more because he has risen pretty steadily over the past couple of weeks. There was a point where him and uh, Rasheed Rice were going pretty close around pick 130. Sky is now up to around pick 15. Pick sorry, pick 115, up five spots. Over the past week, Jack, what what are what are you doing? What is the ETR crew doing with these uh, these Chiefs wide receivers and specifically Sky Moore? We're below on Sky right now. Uh, he he was one of the hardest ones for us to project. So right now we have a pretty low base target share, but I think he is our single biggest difference in our base target share and what we're projecting his ceiling target share and we bumped his odds of hitting those ceiling that ceiling. Um, but we're still behind, but I, I think he's like a tough guy for to just like put a number on projections wise, because if he it's, it's kind of like binary and they're like, if he gets that role, like he's going to be a good bet, but the odds of him hitting that role are, are like pretty unknown. So I personally don't mind Sky. Um, at ADP, but we're pretty behind on him right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, Where are you? How are you guys handling Tony? Because he's just another just massive uncertainty. Yeah, he's he's kind of similar. I personally don't like Tony, um, but I think – let me check where we are exactly. Yeah, we're slightly below ADP, but not as much below as we are on Sky. Um, we have him with the highest target share, obviously, of the Chiefs receivers, but probably a good amount – below where we'd have them if this stuff about 
you know, the Chiefs love Tony. He's their wide receiver one, and he's going to be healthy and, and all and that. Playing for 10 yeah. snaps. We have him. We have him. Like, <laughs> we have him he's on the field for the first snap and then plays four more snaps. Yeah, we, we have Tony significantly below um, in terms of base projection where he would be, I think, if he goes out week one and he plays, you know, a, a very high snap share. Um, what if, uh, if he hits his ceiling projection, like what, like how high do you have that? Like, is he, is he like a one, two turn type of value for you guys or what? What's I that? don't think he'd get to the one, two turn. Um, I would just kind of guesstimating based off his ceiling target share. It would probably be like third round pick. I think S- sounds about right for the ceiling. Um, yeah, that does. Yeah. The thing is with like, if it was like, okay, it's, it's either sky or it's Tony and it's going to be one of those two guys. They're going to get a full route tree. Then I'd be like, okay, they're both good bets, but like, it's just not that simple. Like you got MVS lurking around. Like they played Justin Watson more snaps than sky Moore and Tony last year. You got Richie James there. If you want to even go deeper, you have Justin Ross there. So I'm just like, I don't know. Like, is it, can we narrow it even down to like more versus Tony? I don't think we can. So that's why I'm just kind of like, well, yeah, because it's not really more versus Tony. I mean, more, more is the path upside is he is Juju, but not playing as bad as Juju played, especially at yeah. the end of the season. That's the upside case. You're just getting cheaper Juju um, and cheaper Juju who like stayed healthy. Like Juju himself as Juju was almost a hit. Um, so it's like it's not the biggest swing for the fences pick, but in a range of the draft where it's tough to find wide receiver value, if you were to hit on a better version of the Juju play last year in the 10th round, you'd be very happy, I think. But Tony, it's like, I mean, his range of outcomes is, is you know, it's like a slight arbitrage version of like Tyreek. <laughs> Or it was sort of like Deontay Johnson plus more explosion, but with Patrick Mahomes is kind of his upside versus he literally played five snaps in the Super Bowl. So he just like might not play. Yeah. Um, obviously they want him to play, but like he could just, he could be, a, he could be kind of Miko Hardman, but even more injury prone. So on one thing on Tony and on guys that are so ambiguous and confusing like this, I like going to, to a bit of the film analysis and, uh, Matt Harmon reception perception recently broke down Tony and was not very favorable about his, his separation. I think sometimes guys, and the point that Matt makes sometimes is guys that have very like flashy movements, like in an individual route, they can make an absolute highlight reel. Of, you know, if someone breaks their ankle, like they break someone's mm-hmm. ankles and they sprint by him and that's what Tony can do. But on like a route by route basis, he's not a consistent like separator or route runner, um, which I thought was, I thought was interesting. Obviously, he does get get targeted on a huge share of his. Routes, that is very interesting because yeah. he gets his target per route run is off the charts. So you would think, and you you watch him play, you would think he. I say Deontay Johnson a lot because it's like to me, it accomplishes two things as like a comp is that they both guys play on the outside more than people think. I think now people realize Deontay Johnson plays on the outside, but for a long time he was targeted at so such a low a dot. And Tony, similarly, it's like oh, he must be a slot only type of guy. And both players can play on the outside, but. They also draw a ton of targets. So, yeah, Deontay and Deontay does separate. Deontay does. Yeah, open score loves him. Uh, Matt Harmon always loves him. I think the thing with with Tony's stats, it's always tricky. Right? It's back to the the five snaps in the Super Bowl joke. Like, yes, if you have five routes in a game and you get 
two targets on those routes, your numbers are going to flash. But what percentage of those are screens? Um, you know, what percentage of those are more like gimmicky targets that don't scale to a full route share? So um, I think it's, I still think he has a huge wide range of outcomes. Like, and I, I think, you know, even, Matt Harmon would not dismiss uh, his upside either. I think it exists, but it's like, it's a pretty huge projection uh, for pick whatever 71 overall uh, by ADP. Yeah, that's yeah, why I was curious um, about how much the upside is because the because I mean, it does feel high. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jack, yeah, sorry, you can say there. Uh, I was just gonna say I I agree that the upside like seems high, um, even though we've never seen it for an extended period of time. But for the reasons you mentioned, I'm not really drafting um, Tony, and the, the you know the Chiefs are hyping him up, but there was also a ton of hype for Tony before the Super Bowl, and then you know we we know what happened there, right? um so yeah Yeah. i I mean i think it's kind of interesting and i think that the market is adjusted more so this year than last year um or at least there's less discussion about it is like mahomes won mvp last year and none of his receivers were good so i don't think there's like (laughs) a need for like any of these guys to like smash adp like obviously there's a path but like i mean you know i don't think it's like one of these guys is going to hit like there's a chance like none of them especially do. if they do the road the rotational stuff they were doing yeah. last year was like yeah. justin watson running 40 percent routes of just wind sprints like these random dudes coming in and just stealing like you know, a little bit of routes it, it really adds up to like hurt everybody right like maybe MBS justin ross might make the team which yeah is goes to your point here of rotating these guys like if ross makes the team he's not going to play a ton probably but He's another Justin Watson type, or he maybe splits with MBS. Yeah, exactly. So, which is back to my my uh, Chiefs wide receiver stance. I'm going to be heavily underweight all these guys in non Mahomes teams, and heavily overweight these guys Mahomes teams because I'm just trying to I'm trying to bank the the stack uh, in the playoffs, and one of these guys does go off because I think on a weekly basis these guys can still certainly have. Spikes, You're taking so. Tony with uh, with Mahomes. I I yeah I have to like. I have to like gag a little bit when I do it, but I, but I am. Um, <laughs> getting there, okay. I, I have trouble so, getting there. Yeah. With my homes, man, I don't know. Why not? No, I, it's probably smarter to take them and I'm, and I'm doing the dumb thing, but I just, I, the gags, I gag too hard. And I, I <laughs> yeah. yeah. You ought to pick someone else. Cause you're, you're throwing up. <laughs> yeah. I, keep, I gag for eight hours. Straight, <laughs> um, okay. Let's, I got to be honest, some of these ADP movements, I'm like, I don't even know what to talk about. Ayuk is maybe the other interesting one where he's continuously moved up. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, don't I think Ayuk and Keenan are the two interesting ones here because they kind of point to the period of the draft season that we're in, which if I had to guess, I'd say right now through the next like two weeks, maybe is going to be the most wide receiver heavy that the ADP gets and these two guys I think when I'm sitting in the the if I have a, a pick like with the 503 and Ayuk's not there I'm, I'm crushed I'm actually crushed because <laughs> it's like I I don't like taking Chris Godwin and I'm like very overweight Chris Godwin because I just don't like they're gone like okay I did Sam told me I should take two running backs in the first three rounds but now I've got two wide receivers through four rounds and Brandon Ayuk just went and Chris Godwin's my wide receiver three. Like that fucking blows. I hate that. 
I think the Buccaneers are going to be terrible. And I don't think Chris Godwin's as good as all the other uh, people that I hang out with think. So I just, you know, um, yeah, I, I like Ayuk, but I think the market is kind of, he's like starting to, I just think there's that, that real need for wide receiver. Like this is almost Ayuk's rise is probably because like Chris Olave's rising and Devontae Smith's rising a bit. Like that's what's causing this, I think. And then Keenan Allen, is also like indicative of I think this real struggle of what to do on the three four turn, um, because that's another spot where you you kind of want to come away with at least one wide receiver there ideally. So Keenan yeah. I think is kind of moving up, and and uh, he's kind of interesting because it's like a I wonder like if he you know right now is the first time that that him getting cut is like not baked in even one percent into his ADP. It seems like it's taken a while for that to go away. Yeah, I agree. Um, what are your thoughts, Jack, on, I guess, starting with with Ayuk about his, I think he's risen, like, I don't know, 15 spots in the last month or so um, for no apparent news-driven reason. Maybe it's Purdy. Um, but, yeah, do you guys No, he's been you... tearing up uh, minicamp. People oh, yeah. Glowing reports out of minicamp. Yeah, he got was it, named, uh, I think, like, the, <clears throat> the MVP at OTAs. But I feel like he's done that, like, every year, um, to be honest. Um, but I'm I am with Pat that I don't love Ayuk at his price point. When Debo was healthy last year, um, for whatever reason, this like sticks out in my mind. We were like so unsure what to do um, on Debo versus Ayuk when when both of them were healthy, and then Debo ended up just like not dominating in targets, but he had a healthy gap over basically everyone else. So I kind of think like going into this year, healthy Debo, um, I would prefer him pretty easily like significant i think there's a significant difference between the two um so much so that like i am not overly interested in in Ayuk as his price continues to rise um so that's kind of where i'm at with Ayuk because they're, they're going to be such a run heavy offense um the purdy news is obviously good um for that passing offense very good but but even with that like um i i think there's this I don't think Ayuk's target share is going to be massive enough to at his ADP to override like the 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 lack of overall targets that are available, and that's kind of how we're projecting it right now. On Keenan Allen, I actually do like him quite a bit. We have the Chargers' offense just like absolutely absurd, like like significantly almost ahead of mm-hmm. the pack in terms of plays per game, and then they're going to pass a ton. Um, and Keenan Allen, uh, even last year was earning targets at a high clip. So I, I get the age concerns. Um, but I think that like this offense as a whole is, oh, I guess maybe the opposite of the 49ers in terms of there's just going to be so much pass volume to go around. Um, I'm kind of just buying everyone. And I know that the market has that priced in and that's why they're going so early, but, um, I, I like Keenan Allen, uh, quite a bit. Where are you at on Mike Williams? Um, I can give you the exact number. We're ahead of him, too. I think we're ahead of hmm. all of the Chargers. Um, actually, okay. we're a bit below on Johnston. Um, but, yeah, I, I like I like Keenan and Mike. I've like, I like Mike Williams this year fine, and I feel like I'm kind of like a little bit on an island there among like people I respect and stuff. So I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I just feel like this offense could put up a bunch of points and it would, they were pretty dysfunctional last year. And Williams had a second straight season of over 1.9 yards per outrun. Like he does, 
he does a very specific thing, right? He doesn't really separate. He jumps high, catches the ball, falls down, and hurts his shoulder. But he does that thing well. <laughs> yeah, I he would, definitely hurts his shoulder pretty well. He's I would, there, there, there was like a stretch um, where I saw some tweets about like, is Mike Williams actually healthy? Because there was no news. But I think there was a report like a week ago that said he's fine. Um, and and with that, I'm basically back in uh, nice. on Mike Williams. Well, because last year they were uh, Keenan and Mike Williams were two three turn picks. I, I get that Quentin Johnson, which should probably hurt them a little bit, but. I think we should be more excited about the Chargers offense this year with uh, Kellen Moore replacing whoever their OC was last year. I'm oh, blanking. Yeah. Lombardi. Um, yeah, Joe Lombardi, yeah. And, Lombardi, and that's, yeah. And that's with wide receivers being significantly priced up. Um, yeah. So I guess there's age concerns on Keenan and, and injury and Quinton concerns on Mike Williams. But in an environment where wide receivers are going significantly earlier and they're going significantly later, um, in what looks like a better um, situation offensively, um, you know, it's 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 an interesting dichotomy, I guess. Although there are real concerns on Keenan age um, and and Mike Williams injuries, yeah. I guess. For Keenan's age, it's kind of just like until he shows me he can't do it anymore, I'm I'm not going to be too worried about the age. And I get that eventually I'll be wrong on that, but like I don't know, he's not someone who relies on athleticism. Um, and he's he never relied like, on athleticism. Yeah. He's never been particularly like, I think people kind of slap the injury prone label on him because he got hurt last year. And then early in his career, there was a stretch where he was injured a bunch, but he had a huge stretch of his career where he was never injured, like 2018 through 2021, um, where he was consistently out there all the time. So I, I like comparing Ayuk and Keenan, um, I, I would say like, I think Keenan's appropriately priced within the wide receiver rankings. I think, I don't hate Ayuk by any means, but like, yeah, I don't know. It starts to feel a little rich at, at 52 for me, but you know, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it either. Right. I just think I'm, I'm more bought in on the Keenan rise than the Ayuk rise. No, I am. I am too. But that is one of the things to kind of go back to the running back thing for a second. It's like, that's what you're buying yourself. If you take, you know, wide receiver, yeah. running back, running back, you're kind of locked into Brandon Ayuk or Chris Godwin or reaching for Marquise Brown. Um, you know, it's just it's it's tough. It's a really tough range of the draft. At yeah. the, the four or five turn, you used to be able to more reliably get Christian Kirk there, who I also don't love. But like, I know you guys are pretty high on Kirk, right, Jack? Yeah, I, I like Kirk a good amount. Yeah. Um, so that's the I don't know. Just right now, it's just like it's just a difficult. That's one of the most difficult spots uh, of the of the draft right now. I think that four or five turn. Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's funny. Cause like, I almost want like, sometimes in my mind, I kind of want to skip like Ayuk and Godwin and just go to like Pittman. I can, you know, I can talk myself on the upside with Pittman a little bit. Maybe Anthony Richardson is good. I get that the passing volume concerns are scary there. Tyler Lockett can just do it again, which he's always done for <laughs> seven years in a row. Uh, Deontay Johnson's going to draw 150 targets, uh, for the, the fifth year in a row. Right. I don't know. I almost wonder if like, I want to skip, uh, skip the Godwin pick because I used to be in on Godwin. I think I'm overexposed to him, but the yeah, point you made about the box every every day, I'm just like, man, why am I taking box wide receivers? Like he also this... like doesn't have a great target share, targets for outrun. Like it's all it's very volume driven with Godwin recently. I mean, part he's coming off a of 20 CL last year, so you're hoping he bounces back a bit. But yeah, I don't know. 
I'm a, you look at any anybody in the Tampa Bay offense last year, though, it was just volume-driven, right? Like, that offense was so inefficient, but just ran a shit ton of plays. So, I, I don't know if that was him. I don't know. I think the offense was kind of broken last year, but it's, it's not going to get fixed. Yeah, it's going to get uh, way worse. Yeah. It's going to get way worse. Yeah, it's going to get the worse. The other thing, Fuck. don't they have the guy from Seattle this year now? Is their new OC? Like, um, I, no one I wants know. to talk about this because it's it seems insane because Rashad White cannot run the ball. But like, could they just run the ball more? You know, I mean, and, and it probably relies on Sean Tucker making the team and being okay, or them signing Zeke or something. But like, I don't know. Maybe Latavius Murray gets cut and they sign him, and then they just run the ball way more than we think. Yeah, I think that's interesting too. Um, not as much because of the OC, but because. I think there's been like two consecutive seasons of the Bucks saying we want to run the ball more and then they haven't. Um, and maybe that's just like the Tom Brady factor. And, and now that they don't have, you know, the goat calling the shots all the time that they actually do try to establish it a little bit. Um, the, the question I guess would be how much are they able to do that if they're as bad as we expect and then they kind of get forced into throwing. But I, I do think they're going to try to run the ball more than they have in previous seasons. But we've seen, right. There were three teams last year who said, you cannot force me to throw the ball. Bears, the Falcons, and the Panthers at the, in the back half. And they were all terrible. But the coaching staffs, two of the three of them kept their jobs. You know what I mean? I think that like self-preservation here for Todd Bowles, you're, you're going for the 101 uh, in the real-life NFL draft, but you got to get it without getting fired. And so you don't, you don't want to get embarrassed. So I do think... Mm. most likely scenario, you know, the most likely outcome here for this team, they throw a ton because they're going to be terrible. But I do think there are some like reasonably likely scenarios where they actually like play Panthers ball and try to run the ball a lot. And maybe again, they probably need to sign somebody because I don't think white's this guy, but they are able to run the ball fairly effectively in a high volume way. And then they, they play action off of that, which is, which is how I would want to use Baker. You tell me I have to like drop back like 40 times with Baker Mayfield. No, thanks. I'm going to get fired. Yeah, that the, the they have to sign someone is interesting. And I kind of want to transition that to to a Dalvin Cook conversation. The Bucks kind of make a lot of sense as a Dalvin Cook destination. Look, I don't know the cap situation for them, so maybe I'm wrong about that. But I guess, I guess a broader Dalvin Cook question, because he's a he's a tough guy to price. I actually thought he would fall a lot more than this. I'm kind of shocked he's still hovering around pick 84 i like a lot of the other running backs in that range better but um jack do you are you guys like how do you guys even treat uh like free agents uh first of all at etr i'm kind of curious in that and second um are, how do you view dalvin cook at, at pick 84 yeah so we uh project them for a carry and target share and then kind of just assume <laughs> uh league average efficiency um that's that's how we do it, and we also have Dalvin significantly below where he fell. I'm I'm also like pretty surprised that he's he's only here right now. Um, and we with the free agents, I think we react to the market more than we would otherwise. Like if if all if Zeke is falling, if like we kind of just try to not have yeah that different of takes um, on the free agent guys, I, I, if that makes sense, right or wrong. Um, at, sure. I'm not really interested in Dalvin at his current ADP. Um, uh, we don't know where he'll sign. He, maybe Fox, but I guess that depends on how much he wants to play on a terrible team. 
Uh, yeah. Dolphins would be, I guess, a fun spot, but it feels like every day he doesn't sign with the Dolphins and maybe makes it more unlikely he signs with the Dolphins because they were rumored immediately. And then um, if that was such a match, then I guess why are we still waiting? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, but the I, Dolphins I just, won. Yeah. The Dolphins won quickly. I just don't think, th- I, I think the Dolphins likelihood is so low. Like they, they shelled out like two and a half guaranteed each to Mostert and Wilson um, two and a half per, per player. They took a chain and what the, the early third or mid third round. Like it doesn't, unless cook is willing to pay for pennies, it just doesn't make any sense to me that Miami would be willing to pay him what he wants, like 8 million or whatever. Right. Like it seems like a, pretty big uh over spend at running back so uh sorry to cut you off jack but I'm, i just don't i think the miami thing is like unlikely which is maybe um against the market yeah no that's fair um i mean if if you don't i i guess i'm curious if you don't think it's the dolphins or um i don't i mean you didn't mention the broncos but maybe the broncos too like do you do you think he's going to sign for like a, like a bucks type team where he's in line for a bunch of work, but you know, they don't really have a, a hope of competing. I, I guess it's kind of guesswork at that point. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I kind of do think if, if he's prioritizing money then, and this is way down narrative street, but uh, th- that narrative that uh, Pat just gave of, you know, the bucks coaching staff, not wanting to be embarrassed and at least lose and be close in games. I think they can, sell themselves on like a star of years past and Dalvin cook and maybe even sell the fan base on selling some jerseys. I don't know who else in, you know, Tampa's uh, selling a bunch of jerseys with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask at quarterback. So that could be one where like, it doesn't make any sense really from like a real life uh, fit, uh, like adding a running back when you're a terrible team, but I could see that one. And then I think the other ones are just like you mentioned, Broncos jets, these teams that have uh, early injury, early season injury concerns at running back. I think Dalvin maybe is holding out hope that one of those teams gets, gets desperate uh, if the running backs recovery doesn't go to to plan. Um, but yeah, besides that, that's the thing. That's why I think his ADP should be much lower. Like I don't lower. see a ton of upside scenario. Like what is the upside scenario where you feel good about Dalvin cook um, at, at pick like 60 say, because I think you need to have some upside scenario where it, it's worth the risk of taking a pick 84. And I, I just don't really see that. I, I guess it's Miami, but I don't know. I don't think that's very likely. Pat, do you yeah. see any upside or, or Jack? If you have anything. Oh, sorry, I was, I was just gonna say I we maybe have toggled it a little bit, but our Dalvin projection right now is almost where it was like from our gut reaction when he first um, got cut, and we have him like 120th overall, which I think is a lot more fair. Yeah, I have him. Um... My rankings are like baking the ADP a fair amount, but I he's one of the players where I just said do not bake in the ADP. Um, <laughs> so I, I have him at 96th, which is you know still <laughs> quite a bit above where you guys, but you know a full round below his actual ADP. Um, you know I also don't move the market like ETR, so I, I try to stay a little bit more market aligned. But uh, yeah, so I have him. I just I just don't get it. I it, I completely agree. Like what, like him signing with Tampa Bay would be maybe a best case scenario at this point, I guess the best case scenario. And, and it's not, and who's excited about that. You know, I wouldn't be all that excited about it, but uh, I guess the only way I could really see his ADP moving up is if Mixon doesn't take a pay cut, they cut him uh, and they bring in Dalvin. 
that's that's your path to upside because at that point that's a good one you're you're drafting pretty high that's like maybe i don't think you would go this high but yeah mixon's off the team cooks there and it's just cook and travion williams and chase brown then i think that's like suddenly uh i don't know a third fourth round pick mm-hmm. in years past something like that um so that is a pretty good upside uh yeah i think he would case man it'd be really tough actually because like i would still want to take gibbs over him but i don't know that he would go behind gibbs he might go he might go ahead at travis Etienne. Um, yeah if if he were if mixon were cut and dalvin cook were signed on the on the Bengals, i mean the cincinnati running back role is like regardless what you think of cook's talent that the cincinnati running back role is just so 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 good like mixon Mixon has pretty massive receiving fault. Well, not massive, but big receiving volumes, even though he's not the third down back on the team. Um, like it's just an offense that plays with pace. They're going to throw a lot. They throw their running backs. He had, he had 60 recep- receptions last year. Joe Mixon were complaining the whole year about how he doesn't play on third downs, like 60 receptions. And he was displaced for, for some games. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> P Ryan had a role. Uh, and then, yeah, it's, it's just very valuable. Yeah, I'm pretty heavy overweight Leonard Fournette right now because I think he's sort of the no brainer guy to bring in if they cut Mixon because I think Lenny would sign for like a mil and <laughs> be like, let's win a, <laughs> win a ring, baby. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. That's that's the one I'm dreaming on. But but anyone who signs there, if Mixon gets cut and they sign someone else, he's it's hard not to get a little excited. Yeah, I have so much Lenny. It's, it's like I did this last year with, with Julio, which was funny because you got your victory lap screenshots when he signed with the box and then he's had like a hundred yards all season, but um, I'm just taking Fournette in every draft. Like I, I don't care. Uh, I want the upside. I don't, I don't see a scenario where he doesn't play this year. Um, so he's like an 18th round pick now. Like I'm I, I yeah, I not literally every, not literally every draft, but I probably have like 20, 30% or something. I have like. eight. I have 19%. I have 19% yeah. Fournette. So I'm with you. Yeah. Um, Last, last one here. We haven't talked uh, about Trey Lance in, in maybe like two full episodes. So uh, he pops back up here on the Fowler's chart. Um, I'm curious, Jack, how you're viewing San Francisco quarterback situation. Uh, the level. I think the market is like more and more certain each day that that Purdy is the guy. Hence, I'm reaching why Lance for Purdy. Is, yeah, I'm, why Lance I think is free he's now? Up a lot. Yeah. How, what are you? What are your thoughts, Jack? Yeah, I don't think it's like that much of a. Like, I, I'm very confident that it's Purdy, um, and they've pretty much said as much, and every report in terms of his injury has been optimistic. So I think there's a real chance Purdy starts week one, and Trey Lance is just irrelevant the whole year, to be honest. Um, so that's I'm kind sort of, of surprised he's being drafted still. I Yeah, I agree with that. Um, we've been low on Lance the whole the whole time, um, and his ADP's falling, fall in. And uh, and we're still like way below. Um, I like I is the yeah. out for him like a trade? Like I don't really see. It doesn't. I don't really see the path. To be honest, no, if you if you want to draft a quarterback who's not going to play this year, just just take uh, Tom Brady, Devonte Adams stack. They're a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot more a lot more upside. That is actually um, more fun. You might as well. Yeah, do yeah. That. it's at least a kind of a funny screenshot. Uh, you take Trey Lance, it's just kind of like sad. Like, what are you doing, man? Um, give it up uh, now, but. I don't, yeah, I don't see the trade. At, at some point I did, like, I think in the Superflex pre-draft stuff, 
I was like, okay, maybe there's some Lance trade scenarios, like maybe the Titans, maybe the Texans. The Texans were rumored to like be taking defensive players only in the first round. I was like, maybe there's some weird trade stuff with Trey Lance where he hasn't out. Now I'm just like, I don't know. Like who's, it's kind of a big contract too. A number three overall pick, like makes right. a decent amount of money. Like who's, who's trading for that? Also, I, I, I mean, Purdy did tear a ligament in his elbow that, you know, generally we, we thought he was going to be out for like 18 months. He's a seventh round pick who's only shown like half a season of, of pretty impressive, but you know, short lived excellence. Um, you have Super Bowl ambitions here. Why wouldn't you keep Trey Lance? Like, why the, the logical thing for the 49ers is to roll into the season with three cheap quarterbacks and just be like, we're gonna, we're gonna get production out of the position and we're gonna win the Super Bowl. Uh, I think it would be a little bit like, you know, it probably undermines their goals to trade Trey Lance this year. I think he's easier to move off of next year. And then you have so much more information about who Purdy is after the year. So I think the thing with Lance yeah. is that like he could even hit, but I don't know that like if you get a couple really strong weeks late in the season from Lance, you know, you, you could definitely make the case that that's worth an 18th round pick, but they have to be late. They have to be in the playoffs. And you have to get there without him, which is difficult because three quarterback builds are generally not as as good as at advancing as uh, two quarterback builds. And like, if you have a if you have a Josh Allen team, are you really how how much you even need the Trey Lance upside? You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. you just kind of it's hard to even know like how he would help you um, without Purdy you know, re-aggravating his elbow early in the season and Lance starts all year and then he's a smash. But, you know, you have, um, I've, I'm very vocally out on, on Sam Howell for the most part, but I took Howell last night, uh, cause I took him at the 18, 12 and Howell has a chance to start all year. I don't think he will, but, um, reading and I was reading something about Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera, I, I think is pretty in on Howell. So it's if Ron Rivera doesn't get fired, they probably start Howell all year. Is my is my thinking right now? Um, well, I do think he's going to get fired, so I don't love that bet. But eighteen twelve, Brian Tannehill could start has a legitimate chance to start all season. Doesn't have the same upside profile as Lance, but you can get him in the eighteenth round. Jimmy Garoppolo, what if his foot's fine? Doesn't have the same upside profile at all, but easily stackable. You can get him in the eighteen at the eighteen twelve. So I don't know. I mean. You know, if Lance starts all year, comparing him to saying, you, "Oh, you could have gotten Jimmy Garoppolo," is going to look super fucking stupid because he's a rushing <laughs> quarterback. But he's uh, the odds of that actually materializes feel so low right now. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the the fun thing with Lance is that if Purdy gets hurt, they could throw Sam Darnold in there. So you have to be right like it, yeah. so many times. Yeah. Um, like it, it, so many things have to happen. I think for Trey Lance to be relevance and obviously the price is low but like i don't think it's like you could it, it's almost like you're crafting a very specific scenario which i think you could do about like every player in the top 300 um right so yeah. I don't, it's not like, that yeah this so is maybe hyperbole yeah. but like is taking trey lance that different from taking marcus Mariota? no he is, it isn't it's not really that different the, I mean, it's I'll very similar, actually. <laughs> the, the like, if Lance does play, like he's gonna be so much better than Mariota. But like, it's you know, there's. Yeah. They, I agree that they're. Like... <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know, man. Mariota, Mariota was like the, the QB9 last year before he got benched. I don't know. But, yeah, no, I hear you, Jack. Um, um, yeah, but I, I mean, I agree. I agree with the point. Like I, like it's, you're telling yourself such a story for Trey Lance to be anything resembling relevant. Yeah. 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 By the way, on the Sam Darnold thing, that's not just like, I think we kind of had a joke about Sam Darnold over Trey Lance. Now that's being reported by, by Adam Schefter. Um, that's not just like a, a, a ADP chasing bet any bit anymore. That's, uh. I mean, he's Schefter was like kind of spec speculating, but like still, it's not like it, it should at least be taken to yeah. acknowledge that it's it's a real competition between Darnold and Lance. Even the pushback on the Rappaport report originally, as I as I recall, was something like, "Hey, why would you why would you uh, discount Trey like that? Why would you rule out Trey?" Was sort of the the pushback. It wasn't. That's insane. Darnold's the quarterback three. Trey is the locked in quarterback two. It was, hey, why would you, why would you just assume that it's Darnold? But that's to me, I'm like, well, it could still be Darnold though. They just want to <laughs> see how it plays out. So yeah, we're we're projecting Purdy to miss um, around a game, which I, I mean, there's a chance he doesn't miss any he, chance he doesn't miss any time. Chance he misses like two games, three games. So we're just kind of like guessing almost a game and we have the backup split 50 50 between Darnold and Lance. So I think like Darnold is very mm. live to be the QB two. So what would you say the difference is right now between Trey Lance and Mason Rudolph? <laughs> okay. That's too fast. You took it too far. <laughs> quarterback threes. I thought we were talking about quarterback threes. Okay. <laughs> What's the difference between uh duck duck Hodges and uh, Trey Lance. <laughs> hey, that's a quarterback four. You, you be careful. <laughs> oh man. I think Trubisky's a better pick than Trey Lance. No, no. Dip, no dip. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's too far. Oh man. Okay, I, I tweeted about it, so let's cover this quickly. I'm I'm sorry, sorry to keep you so long, Jack. Tyreek Hill. I thought this would be more of a ADP movement with the news of him like slapping somebody on the boat or whatever the hell that weird report was. But so this has just been a thing for me. When I'm on the clock at pick four or five this weekend, I'm just taking like. CMC and Cup over Tyreek every time now because I'm like, isn't his ADP going to move down or like, isn't there some two game suspension risk or something there? I'm curious if you guys are, are baking any like sort of off the field risk for for Tyreek with this uh, report. We so, have not. You... Oh, sorry. Oh, ahead, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say we have not right now, but we're like not sure what to do really, um, which maybe is an argument in favor of baking in at least some risk, um, but like we're just kind of like watching and hoping we get more info uh, at this point in terms of like how we're treating the projections side of it. Pat thoughts. Yeah. My thing is <clears throat> that kind of, to be honest, I like cup more than Hill. So, and I've had, I've kind of flipped them around in the rankings at times. Cause it's like Hill has been so steadily above cup. Um, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't want people not to have any Hill. And so it's like, but I, I'm more, I'm more just taking cup. Like I've been taking cup over Hill uh, enough to where I'm pretty overweight cup and a little underweight Hill. And so to me, it was pretty simple to just go in and say, no nope, cups three, you know, cup, cup is the better pick right now. Like cup didn't slap someone on a boat and I don't know what the, the yeah. seriousness of it is, but kind of already liked cup more. And I was, I was like capitulating to the market a little bit, which I think is a totally fine thing to do when we're talking about hyper elite players like this. But um, where you want exposure generally to all of them. 
but yeah, at this point, I also have McCaffrey over Hill too, because it's just like why yeah. why not? Like McCaffrey's yeah, a great pick too. Um, what I haven't done yet is bump up Waddle, but I think that's the next thing I might do, depending on on what we start to hear about this. Have you guys bumped up Waddle at all? Or you're just you're just kind of holding steady for now, Jack. Oh, you're muted. Sorry, we uh we haven't changed anything, but we're pretty uncertain. So may I like after this show, I'm probably gonna go back and like the <laughs> ETR Slack and be like Karain had some points about like dropping Tyreek and bringing up Waddle. <laughs> like, should we should we do this? Like we're we don't really know um exactly. Yeah, I haven't I think I might move up Waddle like one spot. Um and I and that would be the first time I've raised him. So I'm not but yeah. But Hill to me, it's like it's so flat from three to five is so flat. Why wouldn't I just bump Hill down to the end of the tier? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair. And Jack, after you uh, slack Leone about Green's points, make sure you uh, slack him about my Mitch Trubisky uh, points as well. Um, I'll let him, sure I'll let him know. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to want to know. <laughs> yeah, you guys should probably bump him from like 450 to 380. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now that makes sense. Yeah, it's just like. I don't know when you're when you're picking between these amazing players, and I'd even maybe go as far. And this is where I, I get if you disagree, but I even get if you want to take AJ Brown, Diggs, Kelsey over Tyreek right now. I don't mm. completely disagree with it, just because I think there's a chance that like we get more bad news in this, and even if he doesn't get suspended, his price will will fall. So um yeah I, i'm in, in like wait and see approach as well i'm not completely panicking on tyree where do you like, think that was like if, if if there was speculation if the market started to be nervous where do you think he would settle like if there wasn't anything like concretely i don't know that's that's like a camara situation like, from last year right like camara's you know was never like a suspension was well i i don't know that we'll ever get to the point where like a suspension looks as likely as it did for Kamara, you know? Yeah. But let's say the first part of this, the first part of like, oh, this, this we should start taking this incident somewhat seriously. Like, do you think he could fall to the 111? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like where CD and Garrett Wilson yeah. and Devontae are going, right? I mean, because it's, it's still hard like, not to click in there, right? I mean, yeah. I feel like it depends on how long the suspension like is, is rumored to be because for Camaro it was like six games. And I think if Tyreek gets six games, like he's going to fall a pretty decent amount, but I feel like if it's two games, like that's almost just a slap on the wrist. Where would you, where would you take him if it was six games? Purely hypothetical. We don't know anything. Um, Like third round, maybe. That's spicy, but that, that kind of makes sense. Cause what we were taking uh, D hop, when he had a six game suspension in what, like the sixth, seventh round last year. Yeah. So Tyreek Hill probably bump up two or three rounds from that. Full season of T Higgins or minus six from Hill. Give me Hill. Yeah, I think I'm, but I, I'm, I'm the biggest T Higgins bear in, in the market. So you probably don't want my T Higgins takes. I might, lean, you, Jack? I uh, might lean Higgins there. Yeah, I think I'm I'm actually back to Higgins the more I think about it. But it's close. Like that's probably about where he'd be. So that's the end of the second, basically, right now. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, we'll keep our eye on that. Um, it's been two hours, uh, a little bit over two hours. Let's get into our favorite uh ADP values. Jack, we do this 
on on every show. We have been kind of playing uh, a game where we're trying not just like the best picks, but the players we think are going to rise the most by August, like by a percentage of ADP. Um, so like if you picked Devonte Adams and he soared to pick six, that would be like a huge rise. Or you could pick someone late um, who you think's going to soar a bunch as well. Um, so do you have anybody? Uh, that you think is going to be a great closing line value if you're taking them uh, today on June 26th? Yeah, I think um, I think Watson is a pretty good value at quarterback mm-hmm. right now with how much quarterback ADP is up this year, uh, and rightfully so, as the elite guys just smash everyone else. But Watson has, and, and we, you know, it's been two years, but he's had years that are not completely to the level of like a Hurts, Josh Allen, but like, definitely in that top three or four quarterback range. Um, and, and you can get them right now at, at QB nine. And obviously there's a wide range of outcomes coming off missing two years and not playing all that well uh, at the end of last year. But I, I mean, that level of upside, I think is completely unmatched by pretty much everyone else. And I think they're going to throw a little bit more this year too, now that they have an elite quarterback um, or someone that, they hope is elite at least um given what they they gave up for him and what they paid him and now that they i mean it's it's looks like it's probably just chubb at this point um because they have Jerome Ford, but i don't think he's going to be as kareem hunt level involvement so they don't have the same running back duo and they have a significant upgraded quarterback like i think they're going to throw more this year um so i think watson is probably my my single favorite bet on the board right now nice that's a good case I like it. Pat? Have uh, we done pretty yet? I'm assuming we have. Uh, let me check my list. Uh, I feel like someone did, and I just didn't write it down. But <laughs> I don't have it written down. I don't have it written down. Okay. Then I guess <laughs> I'll do, do pretty if you don't have it written do it. down. You can do it. <laughs> All right. I'm doing pretty. Uh, he's still at, like, pick 180. I've taken him... Um, I've done the stacks and then I take them at the back half of the board. I'll reach like uh, a full 24 picks ahead of ADP. Cause I'm like, I already did. The, I did the stack and I I've been on record saying, I don't really think you should be reaching for quarterbacks, to complete stacks, but I do feel a little bit differently about it when it's, if you've done like a triple stack um, and, and in this case, it might be like, you know, two of the receivers plus Elijah Mitchell um, calling that a triple stack. And then maybe like, um, you know, a Dotson or whatever, or whoever you have coming back, McLaren. Um, I, I, there's no one else, right? It's like you're now to the point where quarterbacks really drying up. So when in those late rounds, sometimes I'll just reach and complete it. Plus, I think that's where he's going to move up to. I think he's going to move up to that a full 24 picks and, and settle at the same turn, but one spot above. Because it just kind of makes too much sense with where Debo's going. Um, and you know, you can just kind of easily build around him uh, there. Ayuk, Ayuk used to fall a little bit to that side of the board, but he doesn't. But Kittle kills right there, too. So you can easily go Debo, Kittle, and lock up Purdy at that turn. I like that. And we didn't have time to show it this week, but the the San Francisco stack, the double stack price always shows up. It's actually one of the cheaper ones just because Purdy's so cheap and all the pass catchers are pretty expensive. So I like that of being able to uh, bring along a late round quarterback with some of the the skill players you take you take early with Purdy. I'm, and I'm talking um, about the 13 14 turn for the record. Okay. Yeah, to to add 
quickly, um, I, I guess I focused on why I like Watson as opposed to maybe the the CLV argument. But I think, you know, when training camp rolls around and everyone looks fantastic, if we get those positive camp reports on Watson and people start thinking like, what if Deshaun Watson is back to the guy he was three years ago? Um, I, I think mm. you could really see the ADP start to rise because the, the last year is rightful. And this is, you know, a rightful reason but that that's why he's going as late as he is um so if we get those positive camp reports that deshaun watson looks like the watson he was in 2019 2020 and then people start connecting the dots like in 2019 2020 like his performance would have been the qb3 last year or qb4 or whatever um and then you could really see him see him start the rise there One, yeah like some sometimes the big sits look really obvious in retrospect and Watson, I think, will look extremely obvious in retrospect if he hits. Uh, it, you know, in an environment where we're chasing up huge quarterback seasons from last year into the early third round, into the second round to start BBM, if you can get Deshaun Watson in the seventh round, even the sixth round, and he's Deshaun Watson again, I mean, it's just such a – like, it's the perfect ADP environment to hit on a Deshaun Watson returning to form. And, uh, you know, then it's also like even – it would even be a good price last year, you know, if if he were to hit. So you're just, but the the hit will be will be outsized because of how expensive the other quarterbacks are this year. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I've had that thought too, Pat, of just like how obvious it'll look. But I almost I almost feel like it's going to look obvious either way. Like if he sucks, it's going to be like, oh, the guy who was out of the league for two years and sucked last year sucked again. Like, what a shocker! But I agree with you. If he, he looks good, young. it's like such. Yeah, yeah. I don't like. Like I'm just saying that people are gonna do the retrospective analysis. Yeah, like, yeah they are. E- either either way, um, but yeah. I agree with you. It's a very clean case. Like you also look at some of his games last year where he you know sucked, and there were these crazy weather games where like I don't know, Jacoby Brissett's not doing better than Deshaun Watson in those games. I don't think. Um, so, anyways, he's I, someone I, I, like I think I'm like in my head. I'm like I'm overweight Watson, but I'm actually not. And so I, I'm glad you mentioned him, Jack. I need to fix that. So mine uh, for this week, uh, don't think he's been done, is it's pretty simple. Jacoby Myers, uh, pick 120 right now. I think he's like by far of the wide receivers in that range. Like he's got two good things going for him out of the wide receivers in that range. As a reminder, he's going around guys like Darnell Mooney, Romeo Dubs, uh, Zay Jones, Sky Moore, Odell Beckham. Out of all those guys, A, I think Myers is just – more talented wide receiver than any of those players and B I think he's more likely to have like a 90% route rate playing in two wide receiver sets than all those players. I think in our heads, we think of Myers as this like slot only player, but he actually played on the outside quite a bit last year in new England, uh, Las Vegas paid him a ton of money. I don't think they're putting Hunter Renfro on the outside instead of, him. Might I think he's, which would be one way that you really went on this. Yeah, exactly. That's another one. Um, I just think he's he's too talented um, of a wide receiver to be going at pick 120. I generally see his range as sort of a wide receiver dead zone range, but I really do like Myers there at pick 120. Obviously, he doesn't have the upside of you know becoming a huge alpha target earner with uh, Devonte Adams there, but you know I think a lot of this Las Vegas fud is kind of based on this jimmy garoppolo report which i think is not really news and it was made out to be big news because this clause in his contract i'm kind of fading all of that noise uh i just think i want a good wide receiver who's going to play in two wide receiver sets um on a passing offense that should be competent uh in my opinion so 
I like Myers quite a bit and think, you know, if some of the Jimmy Garoppolo fears go away, if Renfro gets traded, et cetera, he could be a pretty big riser and go up to, you know, the Cortland Sutton, Michael Thomas range. I think that's uh, in his range of outcomes from a closing line value perspective. I think that's probably where he should be. Uh, I like him. To me, it's like, why would you ever take Juju when you can get Jacoby Myers? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fair. All right, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate everybody in the chat. Uh, we saw all those messages. Uh, just had to pick Jack's brain today. So sorry for not getting to all the questions, but really appreciate uh, everyone coming out and joining us today. That was a fun, fun discussion. Jack, um, anything you want to tease that's in the works uh, established a run over the next couple weeks? Um, nothing specific, but, uh, you know, we'll have a lot of best ball content over the next couple months, some um, betting related content, if that's your thing too. So just, just a lot of um, stuff that I'm pretty excited about, but um, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This was fun. Yeah, of course. Pat, what about you? What's going on at uh, Legendary Upside? Just had an article out this morning uh, looking at success rate. I've talked for a few weeks about how I've been diving into NFL Next Gen success rate metric and um, looking at some of the running backs in this article who performed very well on large sample sizes in that metric last year, uh, including some guys who I think people are overlooking a bit. Um, Brian Robinson gets some love in there. Uh, he's treated like he's was absolutely horrible last year. He did have 3.9 yards per carry, but Gibson had 3.7 yards per carry and faced uh, eight men in the box at a way less, uh, way lower rate. So uh, Brian Robinson gets some love. Travis Etienne gets some love. Um, a few other guys uh, talking through the the kind of the stars in that metric. Going to talk through some of the red flags uh, that pop up for running backs with big workloads last year there in that metric in part two of the article series that I'm doing on this. And then I'll have some of the like small sample size guys who, uh, you know, we'll try to parse whether or not we should pay attention to what they what they did last year all that much. Awesome. Looking forward to, to checking that out. Um, yeah, go check out Legendary Upside, obviously. Go check out ETR to see, uh, see Jack's articles. Um, and we will be back next Monday. Um, see you guys all next week. Bye.